The Route 16 Grind, Episode 8. I think there's something naked walking in the woods. The Route 16 Grind is sponsored by Sea State Coffee, Warren Industries, Tuffy Security Products, and Route 16 Off Road. Welcome to the Route 16 Grind, the podcast for outdoor adventurers. Each week, we bring you information related to off-road and outdoor activities. If you wheel, hunt, fish, overland, or are an all-around adventurer, this podcast is for you. Each week, we pour a cup of sea steak coffee and talk about informative topics, the gear, and the training that can help you have a successful outdoor adventure. We have amazing contributors and some great conversation. So, grab your cup and enjoy the show. Here are your hosts, Brian and Chuck. All right, welcome back to the Route 16 Grind. I'm one of your hosts, Brian, from Route 16 Off-Road, and I have my fellow host, Chuck. How you doing, bud? What's up, brother? Doing all right. How are you? Good week so far. Mine's going pretty good. Uh, it's going slow. I'm ready for it to be over, ready for the weekend. <laughs> you know, I felt like today was actually Monday when I went to work. I was telling my coworkers that. But uh, nope, it's not. I, We're almost I there. I got a lot of stuff I got to get done this weekend for Alabama next week. So oh, yeah. You got I'm, that. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of jealous. I ain't going to lie. Hey, I'm hey, y'all. I just want to mention real quick, I want to apologize that the audio quality, and I want to apologize more so to the person we interviewed, Sir William Goes, phenomenal. We're going to bring him back on, guys, so don't worry. I know the audio wasn't best. I got a new setup for what we do the podcast from, at least at, at my site, and I had one cable in the wrong setting, and so that affected the record. And the initial one, when I initially pushed it out, you could hear me breathing, and it sounded like some creepy caller, and I had to fix that. So that's what we got left, and we will bring him back on. He's got some great adventures, and you might even hear some contributions from him in the future. So subscribe to us and uh, follow us. But hey, Chuck, what we got going on for this show, man? We got a big show this week, just like last week. Uh, on this week's episode, the Outdoors Update, Chuck talks about mountain goat population control in the Grand Teton National Park. From the field, Chuck interviews Jordan Tubbs about his experiences as a new hunter. And then in the rock, mud, and dirt segment, Brian talks about a brand that has been the standard of high-quality off-road lighting for the past 50 years. In our Go Adventuring segment, Brian interviews Axe Overland, an American overlander living in the UK. And then we, we finalize the show as usual fashion with the Cup of Joe segment. The Outdoor Update is brought to you by Tuffy Security Products. Having your vehicle broken into is not a laughing matter. Trust Tuffy Security Products to stop opportunistic thieves. Tuffy is the industry leader in automotive security and provides peace of mind when you walk away from your rig. Durable and easy to install. Tuffy Security Products has adventure-ready consoles, drawers, and lockboxes available for you to organize your rig and secure your gear. Visit TuffyProducts.com and use special offer code GRIND to save 10% on your order. Remember to lock it up. So welcome back to the Outdoor Update. It's the weekly segment where we provide you with stories, news, and information from the recent going-ons in the outdoor world. This week, I'm going to cover a somewhat complicated story. And it's a story that got more complicated for me the more I read about it. Um, and it has to do with uh, game management and our national park system. So in the Grand Teton National Park, 
they're scheduled to begin killing off the mountain goat population that's found in the park this Sunday. And the reason is because the invasive goats threaten the health of the park's bighorn sheep herd, um, which is a herd that has remained relatively healthy throughout its existence uh, in the park. And so the goal is to get the goats off the mountain range before their numbers become unmanageable. One of the issues with this story that makes it complicated, at least for me, is that the mountain goats are an invasive species to the area. And I, through ignorance, had always assumed that mountain goats were native to everywhere that they were currently located in the lower 48, but they just weren't occupying their historic range. And this was wrong. And in fact, many mountain goat populations in part of Idaho, from which this population in the Grand Tetons migrated from, and in other states, including Wyoming, Nevada, Oregon, Colorado, um, South Dakota, and then the Olympic Peninsula of Washington, they were all introduced. And the mountain goat's native range is actually in portions of the northwest United States, and it extends up through Canada and southeast Alaska. So the mountain goat, um, it's, it's set me up to be a hypocrite as typically I'm staunchly opposed to all invasive species and I'll always favor native fauna and flora, but I'm enamored with mountain goats. Um, I'm also enamored with sheep. I'm just a, 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 a goat antelope, uh, sheep, uh, fanatic for whatever. I, 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 it's, it's the horns more than anything, just to be honest. But, um, and I have intentions um, of hunting some introduced populations of what I now know to be introduced populations, um, in the United States. So I wouldn't want any of them to disappear from anywhere in the lower 48. And this invasive species dilemma that I just described is kind of played out in, um, internally for me numerous times over the last few years, because it seems like more and more animals come onto my radar as animals that I, that that were invasives that I assumed were native species or I knew they were invasive or non-native from the onset. And I thought, well, are they really hurting anything? So I, I had the opinion they should be left alone. And, um, I'll be the first one to admit that this is due to my own biases as a sportsman. And I honestly guess that I should do better in separating a non-native species for an invasive one with the latter being um as not defined by me but the actual definition an invasive species is a, a non-native species that causes harm and the harm portion of this definition in all reality should be what we're most concerned with and especially if that harm is imminent which is precisely what adds another wrinkle to this story and typically at this point when you start talking about the government hiring private parties to come in and assist in population control and wildlife management. I start to rail on about how this is a shining example of why hunters are so important and why we should put support the North American model of wildlife conservation. And this is due to wildlife having a value and a big portion of that value comes in the form of a hunting tag, a tag or permit, if you will, in which state governments sell to generate revenue to assist in the management of said wildlife. And this, this particular game species or whatever game species in question 
along with other game and non-game species are managed with this revenue. So then once you begin party to manage the wildlife, then the animal goes from a source of revenue to a sink on the budget. And now the invasive status of mountain goats isn't enough to sway me away from this argument. Um, if it was just all oh, the mountain goats are invasive species, we need to go in and take care of them. I'm still going to argue against the fact that it, it should be done by hunters and it should be done through a tag system, uh, in a safe manner versus bringing in outside parties. Uh, particularly if you're going to pay them to go up in a helicopter and further cost more money. What is a big enough argument to sway me away and to kind of get me to, uh, to back off on my position is the health of big, bighorn sheep. And just never mind the fact that the bighorn sheep is at the top of my biggest, baddest and best big game animals in North America list. And that second place isn't even in the running as far as I'm concerned. The, the just the the health and the science behind bighorn sheep populations disease is a huge threat and pneumonia is the primary threat to bighorn sheep populations and according to the bighorn sheep disease research consortium pneumonia is one of the biggest hurdles limiting the comeback of bighorn sheep in western north america and this has helped in the decline of the population that was once estimated to be at over 1.5 million animals to current estimates showing anywhere between 70 to 85,000. Now, that's a huge decline. And disease outbreaks are, are, are essentially the primary um, rationale or primary reason that this happened. And usually when you're talking about disease and bighorn sheep, it always leads back to interactions between bighorn sheep and domestic sheep and goats. But now the concerns coming from the mountain goat, this encroaching on this historic sheep population and the bighorn herd, as I previously mentioned, the one found in the Tetons has been uh, the beneficiaries of isolation when it comes to disease. And they've been able to remain relatively healthy. And now that the goats have moved in, this creates a really big sense of urgency and, they realistically come in and spread pneumonia to these bighorn sheep and wipe the population out. Um, some estimates say within 10 years that would be gone if they were allowed to uh, be impacted by an outside disease carrier like these goats. So even though, um, even though I'm not willing to like back off and say that this is the best option, this is the situation we're in. Um, due to to the to the sense of urgency that due to the due to the the quick need to get in there and take these goats out now i i could discuss other options and discuss what needs to be done but that's going to end up leading to an additional discussion that will involve the mistakes that have been made along the way or the potential mistakes that have been made along the way that got us to this point the hands-off approach taken with national parks the delay in progress called by bureaucracy bureaucracy and then the whole science versus emotion versus emotion argument in wildlife management. And that's just something that's really, it's up. It's a whole separate discussion. It could be used. Um, it could be a universal discussion, not necessarily for this scenario and a subject for a, a separate podcast. But, um, yeah, this is, this is a complicated one. I know it's going to evoke a lot of emotion in people on both sides and, and how it should be handled and how it should be dealt with. And, the the let nature take its course crowd and all that but if you want to read a little bit further into it 
in the show notes, we've posted the original article, uh, a great National Geographic article from about a year or so ago, year and a half ago, that lays out the whole situation. It discusses a little bit more in depth the bighorn population. And then we've also posted some links to some research um, that you can check out as well and kind of lays out what's going on with disease prevention and whatnot. So feel free to check it out. I hope you I hope you learn a little bit more, and uh, I hope this kind of shed some light on uh, some of the complicated issues facing wildlife management. Yeah, Chuck, as always, a, a great outdoor update. I wonder if we could find a hunter or maybe somebody that is tied to that specific area that can kind of offer more detail specifically to it. And, and you know, what you provided was just that, even connect yourself inward, that the details do matter. It's not just about how you might feel about a certain animal or maybe some other knowledge, but looking at that specific area and understanding the details of it. That's what really wildlife management is about. It's getting down to the details, impacting the entire environment, not just one point of it. Right. And this whole plan, like I said, it, it begins Sunday. What they're doing is they're sending people up in helicopters to shoot uh, the goats, essentially. It's the most effective way. There are provisions to get the meat back if they're able to safely get to these goats, which odds are they're probably not going to be able to. Right. Um, there's also some provisions in this plan for on-the-ground hunters. Now, on-the-ground hunters, I'm assuming that means contract hunters. I don't know. It was just what from what I saw and what I read in the articles and what the Park Service was saying, they, they just described it as on-the-ground hunters. Um, so... I mean, yeah, it is, it's, it's extraordinarily complicated, uh, particularly in this type of an issue. Um, it's not, it's not one of those deals to where, oh, we just need to get an animal out and there's no like real timeline. Like this is like a super dire situation. Um, and I just want to point out though, that this plan has been going on. Um, the, the development of this plan has been going on since I think 2013 or 14, right, right around in there. So it's, I mean, it's taken a long time for it to come to fruition, six, seven years. Um, so they have thought it out and they have approached stuff, but it's one of those deals now to where it's, it's by the time it all came together, it's like, we need to do something quickly and we need to just get them going and, and remove this population to preserve these bighorn sheep that are there. I mean, because there've been instances to where the government's had to go in and kill out entire herds of bighorn sheep because they've got pneumonia and they don't want it spreading further, right. you know, to try to prevent this, like, um, this like just successional epidemic within these herds so, or I guess pandemic. Yeah. Listeners, if uh, you have some more details on this, uh, if you know someone connected to this specific environment, share it with us. So we'd love to bring you on too. reach out. We like to feature your success in outdoor adventures. So shoot us the pics over to us with a brief story at route16.com and select contact. That's R O O T O N E S I X. Dot com and select contact. The Red Warren Badge says you're equipped to handle anything, ready to conquer any challenge that may come your way. That badge has stood for off-road excellence for more than 70 years. During that time, we haven't stopped innovating or striving for perfection. Be ready. Be prepared. Go Warren. When you hear the calls, you know we have a report from the field. And today we have an interview with Jordan Tubbs. I work with Jordan, and he had recently jumped into hunting feet first. Um, some time ago, Jordan had indicated to me 
that he was interested in getting into hunting, but he wasn't really sure how to go about it. Uh, we had some discussions about game lands and whatnot, which was something that he was totally unaware of. And, um, so he had the opportunity this fall though to hunt and he was able to do this through the North Carolina wildlife resources commission, getting started outdoor program for whitetails. Now this is a program that I've discussed at length on a couple other shows, um, as part of this R3 movement that's going on across the country to try to get more hunters involved. And I think Jordan like lays out perfectly his experiences and gives gives people an idea of kind of what it's about and kind of what you can expect. You'll find out getting into hunting was really important to Jordan, and it was important for a multitude of reasons. But what stuck out the most for me was his desire to do it for his kids and for his kids' future. So I think Jordan has a very well-balanced perspective for a new hunter, and he sees the big picture. And I really hope that you enjoy this interview as much as I did. Welcome to the show, Jordan. Thanks for being on. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. For sure. This is uh, this is the second go around for Jordan and myself. Like I said in the intro, we worked together. And I we tried to record it on our lunch break. Uh, we had a lot of technical difficulties on my end, so it just didn't work out. So now we're, we're doing it remotely. But uh, I think this will work out a whole lot better. It appears to be a little bit smoother. So anyway... Um, like I said, Jordan's a new hunter, recently got his first deer. I wanted to have him on, interview him, try to figure out, uh, kind of what went into this whole process of him wanting to get in the hunt and kind of see where it's going and, uh, just how everything's been going since his hunt. So, so I guess first off, Jordan, why, why'd you want to get into hunting? What was the big driver for that? Well, um, we discussed earlier, um, you know, off, off the recording just about how, uh, both my grandparents, uh, paternal and maternal grandparents, grew up on farms or worked on farms. And um, I remember being six or seven, starting to go up there to, to Pennsylvania to my grandpa's dairy farm, waking up at 3.30 a.m. and going out there and helping them milk cows. And then we'd go and uh, have breakfast after we got done, and he'd go dip his pitcher in the silver cow out there and get just pure raw milk and bring it in. And that's what we had. And, uh, he had a freezer full of beef. Um, and they just always had beef, always had milk, just completely self-reliant. And, uh, and that, you know, it was a great living. Um, but my dad ended up going to going to college and going on getting a master's and a doctorate. And so he did not inherit the farm and that way of life, is kind of impossible to get back if you don't inherit it. And, uh, so from, from early on, um, I kind of had that, uh, an impression made on me just about being self-reliant and, you know, working hard and providing for yourself as much as you can. And, um, I guess it took, it took a while. I didn't really appreciate those experiences until I was a lot older. But uh, I guess in grad school, um, in grad school, my wife and I, we, we lived in Athens, Georgia for a while. And one of the guys that went to our church was in charge of the, uh, the fishery sciences at UGA. And, um, and I actually ended up living in his basement for a summer down there. And uh, he got us into, into aquaponics. Um, so again, just 
the whole fishing as and he took me fishing a lot um, right so again kind of that whole uh self sustainability self reliance aspect coming back to play and uh i realize it's, you know there's all this food around us you know we don't have right, to yep. go we don't have to go and buy it if you don't want to um you can actually provide it for yourself and so if I can do everything myself, I like to, if I could build my own furniture, I would, if I could build my own right. house, I would. So I just, I have a passion for just, uh, knowing where things come from, knowing where my food comes from, um, and, and obtaining that food myself or growing it or harvesting it myself, um, for my family. Um, so, uh, there's well, a lot think- more there. But. Yeah, I think that's really a, a a common trend for folks that are getting into hunting and fishing at a at a later age, and like myself and a lot of my friends who we've been doing it essentially our whole lives, and we do it for a multitude of reasons: food and sustainability, always being one of them. But it's it's there's tons of reasons that that I do it and why I enjoy it and whatnot. But the the kind of the underlying message behind most quote unquote delayed onset hunters are the food and the sustainability aspect of it. Um, and I think it's awesome. Uh, your, your grandpa's farm and, and being up there, I know is a big driver to that. And I think you, you summed it up perfect when you said, well, if that's something that's really difficult to get back, if you don't, or even just to get into it in general, if you'd like, don't inherit it, you know what I mean? Cause it's right. not a cheap endeavor. And the returns uh, aren't really there to to necessarily just to be able to jump into it as something you've got to build, but then being able to realize that the the opportunities are there around you already to go out and to be more sustainable. I know, and I know we've talked previously, and you've mentioned how y'all, you and your wife, and with your your family, your goal was to kind of start a homestead and mm-hmm. to proceed uh, to accomplish your goals that of being sustainable and providing for yourself as much as possible. So I think that's, that's really a big underlying factor for most people. And it's, it's cool to hear you say like, that's part of your goal and being aware that the food is out there for you to go get. And you don't necessarily have to have a farm. So. Right. And you can, I mean, there's all sorts of, uh, you know, uh, farm shares or whatever, where you can, Mm -hmm. you know, some people provide a certain aspect of it. Um, But yeah, we, we definitely would like to have, um, some chickens at least and, uh, and, uh, a garden and possibly an aquaponics, small aquaponics system on right. top of yep. being able to go and, and have land to hunt on. Um, right. So, well, you got we, it, man. Yeah. And so. I probably would have never, uh, gotten into it. Have we just not started? You, you pretty much approached me at work and we just kind of started talking about it and, and I showed an interest and, and you, you just kind of jumped right in there. You're like, Hey man, you need to come to this getting started outdoors class. And, uh, if it wasn't for you just kind of jumping in and kind of taking me under your wing and inviting me to that and then invite me to go afterwards and just kind of basically mentoring me along this process, I'd have never, it, it might not have ever happened. Um, well, I mean, it probably would have happened, just not not this quick. So I probably would have had to wait another ten years before I sat down. It was like, okay, let's let's start hunting. <laughs> well, so. and and that's and I I appreciate you saying that and um, kind of giving me a little bit of credit. But 
I mean, I knew you were interested in it is why I brought it up. And like, I didn't want to make any guarantees on my time and then let you down. So I was like, well, you can get into this program, just reach out. We got some folks. It was pretty local and it, it accelerates the process a little bit. And I've had this conversation with a lot of people, both, both new hunters and people that have hunted and are involved in the GSO program. And, um, I know this is a lot of hunters kind of feel the same way when you're talking about new hunters, but I couldn't imagine going out and trying to learn how to hunt essentially i mean cold turkey is probably the wrong word but i mean just virtually totally resourceless because you can watch all the youtube you want to and it's fine and well but then you got to get out and learn and right. and there's a lot that goes into it and uh i guess if you're if i was told things directly based on what i was seeing and uh being out and about and it's a little different uh than walking around and trying to apply something that you i guess saw online or wherever you get your information from or from a book. Um, it's just such a steep curve. And I think um, by expediting that curve and, and allowing people to learn things a little bit quicker, it, it helps to ensure the goal of you coming back out next year and hunting. Right. I mean, yeah. whether you've experienced any successes or not, you've got a little bit more confidence and, and you're also, you can, you're also aware that not all hunts are successful. Cause I mean, we hunted together and, um, one day, no, we'll talk about that shortly, but nothing, no deer were killed that day. And then we hunted later on. You were able to take your first deer, but the other, other folks that were hunting with us, there were, uh, eight total groups of people and only one other group was able to take a deer. So I think you, you kind of see it all. Um, and that, and I love the program and that's one of the big reasons I wanted to have you on. But before we jump into any of that, there's kind of one thing I wanted to talk about and you've, You've expressed this kind of uh, inf inf infatuation or um, desire to shoot a buck. And oh, yeah. one thing for this GSO program, we were instructed to not necessarily go into the antler side of things or the trophy, quote unquote. Um, and it was because most people are coming into it from the food. Trophy hunting is viewed whether it's correct or not in, um, in kind of a negative light in a lot of circles. Mm -hmm. And there's this, there's this kind of, um, like virtue to going out and getting your own food, but not necessarily, not necessarily. There's no virtue in going out and shooting a big buck and hanging it on your wall, at least to non hunters. Right. Um, I have multiple animals hanging up around my house. I have, I see zero issue with it. I don't have any issue with gripping grand photos. I think taking an animal is, something that you should be happy about. You should have feelings of excitement about. Um, those feelings should obviously be, they are typically going to be accompanied with feelings of sorrow and whatnot. But yeah, and that's um, with you being, what's the allure? I guess my question is why with you? Because you, you, you do want a big buck. And I know there yeah. may have been reservations with some folks in your family about you shooting a doe. Um, mm -hmm. just anyway, but just for you personally, why, what's the, what's the draw to the, to the buck, to the antlers? Well, um, I mean, for me, it's, it's, you know, I would, I would eat the buck <laughs> too. Oh, you of know, course. It's, right. It's yeah. Not and that I, I would, uh, I, I'm, yeah, but I understand, and I'm glad you what, said I understand that. what you're saying. Um, yeah, no, I'm glad yeah, you I, said that because trophy hunting to me isn't shooting the buck and cutting his horns off. Mm -mm. Like. I mean, and leaving the rest of the body there. People don't do that in general. I mean, I know it happens, uh, or obviously there wouldn't be this misconception of that's all that happens. But yeah, so I'm glad you brought up the fact that you're going to eat it. But right. um, 
but back to the antlers because it's perfectly fine to do both. So, well, that, that's kind of my stance. Is is I felt bad. Uh, one of the reasons I felt bad about shooting the doe was because I knew I'm not. You know, I'm probably not going to mount this deer, and uh, you know, so I felt like there was a lot that went to waste. Um, and mm-hmm. all we we have pictures of it. And that's all I really have. I kind of wish I'd have kept the hide and, and used it for something. Um, right. And not as, not to be, you know, I, I, I would probably want like an ottoman or something. If, <laughs> you know, if I, right. if I knew I could have done that, I would have asked for the hide back to, to make, to cover some sort of furniture. Um, yeah. And well, and you to, definitely, you definitely could have got the hide and done some buckskin with it. Anybody out there that's listening, that's curious. Yep. You could have had the hide tanned. Um, I have a doe hide hanging up. It still looks good. Um, I, 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 I don't plan on using it for anything, but you could very easily strip the hair off of it and whatnot. And, and you do have the leather. It is a little bit thinner, but yeah, but yeah, I just, I just didn't know to ask for it again. You know, just right. being a new hunter, I was like, well, you know, I figured, I figured it was just something that they, nobody really wants, but, uh, no, I'm, my thing is I, I really want to use every every single piece of it that I can. And, you know, so if I were to shoot a big buck, A, I'm going to have a lot of meat for, you know, a month or two or three um, mm-hmm. to eat on. B, you know, I get to I get to take his 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 head and mount it and basically immortalize it. In a sense, yeah. you know, to where it's like, hey, you know, here he is. You know, this is the one I, yeah. this is the one that provided all the meat for me. I'll, something that I'll have in my home to remind me, you right. know, and I'll never forget about him, if that makes sense. Like, it's, it's, to me, it's more of a, it's being more sensitive uh, than it would be um, to just, you know, waste it, just use the meat and then just, let the antlers go to waste is to me that's that's more callous than to than to mount it and be sensitive to it and to look at it and to remember hey that hmm. that buck up there he's beautiful and right. I, you know to me it pays a homage to the sacrifice oh, you're 100 so, percent. like it it is it i mean it, it's a trophy um i it's it's a monument and i think that's that's essentially what you're describing it, it is a, a legit monument to a hunt Mm-hmm. I've posted some things on Instagram before. I've talked about it before with people, but I've directly referenced as uh, referenced these these deer heads hanging on my wall in particular um, as like as monuments to hunts past because they they all do have a story attached to them. There's no bravado. There's no ego. There's nothing. At least for me, there's nothing up there that's like. Oh, look what I did pound my chest. It's, it's the story of the hunt and it is the, it is representing the species in a, for, for as long as I'm alive. Now what happens to them after they're gone? That's what it is. So that that's interesting though, for you to like, I like how you, you put the spin on it and the perspective of you're, you're doing more by hanging it on the wall than by shooting it just for the meat and then discarding the antlers. Right. Like I guess kind of this false sense of those antlers mean so little to me. I just want the meat. I will trash those antlers. Well, I'm sure 
and I know this is a little bit of personification, but that deer was proud of those antlers. He uses them. Oh, yeah. You know, they serve, they served a purpose. So if you taking them and taking that moment and you like put it up on the wall and they, and they are very majestic creatures. So that's, I mean, I, your description of that and everything that was, I think that was perfect. And I think that would go to explain to a lot of people why, because yeah. you're coming from it from an outsider's perspective of you didn't grow up around these deer heads hanging up. You know, it's not a competition for you at all to like to match uh, your buddy's deer heads or anything. So that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, it's like a, it's like, you know, if you, somebody you cared about died, you know, you're going to give them a proper burial and a proper tombstone, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not just going to, you know, dig a hole, cover it up and forget about them, move on. It's like, no, you you want a mon- like you said a monument a tombstone something there to to go back and remember remember the times you had with them and or in this case with the deer like remember the hunt and uh just remember all the i don't know to me like again yeah yeah it's 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 a homage it's a it's a it's a gratefulness so every yeah. time you look at them so yeah well and you like you've got the pictures of this day um so, I mean, you do have the memories and everything to look back on. I know. Oh, yeah. And and we'll get into your hunt later and everything, but it's something I'll never forget. Um, And, and mostly We've just knowing how much too. it meant. Yeah. Knowing how much <laughs> it meant to me. I mean, knowing how much it meant to you meant a lot to me. And knowing why you were getting into it beforehand and what you wanted to do going forward and everything. So, I mean, you do have these monuments to this hunt. It's not mm-hmm. that it won't go away. Um the I wouldn't I wouldn't dwell on not having the hide and all that from the doe. I think it's awesome that you wanted to you want to honor her just as much as you would a buck. I mm-hmm. think that shows a lot of sincerity going into it, um, and and also wanting to use as much of it as you can. Um, I think yep. is 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 good. And since since the hunt, I've learned that some things that you can do with some deer hides um, that I wish I'd known then. I could have went back and told you some things. But I'm I'm more than likely going to be starting to collect a few to have tanned and turn into buckskin and potentially have some things made out of them um, mm-hmm. moving forward. So, but that's awesome. Yeah. Now, so my, with well, I was just going to go say too, my, my buddy, my buddy came up to me uh, at church the next day, and uh, he was like, "Oh man, did, did, I saw you got a a deer yesterday." He's like, uh, he said, "Did you save the save the bones?" And I was like, "No, I." You know, again, just me, just kind of naive, not knowing, you know, a whole lot of about it. He, he was just like, you know, man, next time you get one, uh, bring me the bones and uh, we'll make a whole bunch of bone broth. And I'm right. Just like, yep. All right, man. Like, there yep. you go. He, you know, something I would have never considered. He was just like, hey, you know, next time you get one, just just bring right. the bones to me. So right. if we can get and, and, used for the bones and the hide, you know. And, and it makes a great stock. It really does. Um, we we didn't get to do it. Um, well, I didn't get an opportunity to do it the year before last, and then, but I still kept all my bones, and I kept all my bones from last year. I had a freezer go out, but the broth is excellent. You do you do need to look into when you do it. You don't, and it, I'm assuming this was any any broth that you make. Um, I've done it with turkeys and chicken uh, bones before, but uh, also, but with deer in particular, I, I monitored the heat a good bit mm-hmm. but i, I want to and 
So I guess I should explain to everybody listening. When Jordan harvested his deer, he took his deer to a processor, which essentially is a butcher for deer. He dropped his deer off. He's able to tell them what cuts he wants and they give it back. Um, unfortunately, the kind of the one downside for these processors is they're working and in, in, they're doing, they tend to be understaffed a lot of times and there's a lot of deer coming in and you don't get to get to kind of get everything out of it that you necessarily want. Sometimes you get all the meat, but you don't get the extra stuff. Like they're not extraordinarily concerned about your hide or like you said, the bones, a lot of times right. the organ meat, you're not going to get back. You can directly ask them, but, um, and I, I always did when I used a processor, but that's one of the reasons that I started processing deer myself. Cause I get everything. I get all the bones that I want. I can pick and choose my cuts. Um, and it just, I feel like I get a little bit more meat back. It's not that I'm necessarily more meticulous, but I have more time than what uh, your average processor does. So that's kind of the next step and the next progression in, um, in your hunting, uh, I guess career, your hunting life is to learn the process inside of things, because I know you want more out of it than the meat. So I think it's, it's super necessary for you to learn how to do that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I I look forward to learning all that stuff. I'm don't plan on, uh, slowing down uh right. i've got uh the two two boys and, and a little girl now that that uh they're they're real young they're too young right now but as they get older you know i can't wait to share this stuff with them and right. teach them this stuff and, and basically have a have a legacy full of just different skills to to leave to them so yeah yeah that's awesome that's no, definitely and, on and- the list Process. And that's the one good thing where these videos do come in handy and YouTube and the books and stuff. Cause you can learn that side of it pretty easily from the internet. Mm-hmm. That was how I learned. Like I had a very general idea how to do it. I'd grown up quartering up deer and, and, and taking it into these big primal cuts and, and cleaning deer, skinning deer out and whatever, and, and knowing how to take care of the meat pretty well. But it was the, the actual processing of it to turning it into functional pieces of meat based on different muscle groups and stuff. That's mm-hmm. where the internet really come in, comes in handy. And, uh, and that's something that I'm sure you and I will be doing together and I'll help out, uh, help you out with. And there's plenty of deer that come through my house for people to learn and for you to show up and help. So, Oh yeah. Um, and then hopefully next year, maybe you got a, a couple more deer that you can get your hands on. So, but now with the GSO, so I guess, Going into the GSO and the Getting Started Outdoors, first of all, like, what did you think of the program? Because I've talked about the GSO and other programs a lot because these things are done throughout the country to try to bring in new hunters as part of this R3 movement. So I guess since you've got firsthand experience, like, what, what was your perception of it? I thought it was great. Um, it was extremely informative. Um, I mean, they went in start to finish um, – as far as, as you know, getting the licensing, of course, we had to have our license when we showed up. But, um, I mean, it just just a thorough, in-depth, um, start-to-finish uh, experience on um, whitetail deer hunting. So, I mean, they went over all the all the safety stuff, all the laws, and then we went out there and learned how to how to uh, scout and then track and, and the shooting. Um, and then they had the guy come in and, and do the, the processing. Um, and we got to see the field dressing on the video. Um, and then, you know, for them to invite us back out to hunt in December, um, 
I mean, the, you know, I mean, you were there. We, we, you know, I was able to get my first deer. So, right. so yep. yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. I thought it was just in, incredible, um, an right. experience I'll never forget. Um, very, very thankful for that. Um, yeah. so had it not been for the GSO, the getting started outdoors program, again, like I said, it would have probably been another decade before I'd have been able to pursue it. Right. Um, so yeah, the, I, I, probably the most memorable thing from that was uh, the scouting and the and the tracking. Um, just because that was something that was so new to me. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I knew like after you get a deer, I'd probably have to field dress it, and you know, I'm I'm, I'm extremely familiar with firearms. Um, that's kind of a hobby, but uh, as far as the the tracking and the scouting, that those were both really new really interesting um and just kind of something you can do in your in your spare time you know if you've got your ipad or computer you're about to go to sleep you can sit there and you know look at maps google earth and and plan your hunts any time of the year so that that's pretty cool yeah and and it's it's i guess the one worry that i had going into it that it was just going to be a ton of information coming out i mean and deep the gentleman that kind of runs the deer hunting side of things for the North Carolina wildlife. Uh, he's, he describes it as you're getting the information through the end of a fire hose, which is it's spot on because yep. you're getting a crash course in hunting in eight hours. And then you get to go out and hunt on another day. Um, and I guess my concern was, is it going to be too much information or things going to get breezed over? And uh, I think it's awesome that you found that it was beneficial. It shows that our time wasn't necessarily, um, wasn't wasted. Um, and I guess by wasted, we didn't use our time inefficiently by giving out too much information and you were able to gather some things from it. Um, because we want to set the groundwork. Obviously you can't, you can't expect somebody, um, to, to go out and, and, and be with these individuals all the time through a whole hunting season through every second for every situation, but to get you kind of familiar with it and for you to, for you to feel like that it's definitely jump started everything. Um, I think that's great. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So now, um, with the, with the hunts, so the, you've got the eight hour, uh, class portion, which I've discussed on previous podcasts, and then you've got the hunts where you're guaranteed one hunt. Um, you and I actually did two hunts. One of them was rained out. We went on a public land hunt. And the reason I wanted you to go on a public land hunt is I knew through discussion that you and I were both, you were going to be spending most of your time hunting public land. Mm. Um, if you were hunting around the house and you, it was a very alien idea to you. You, you weren't even aware it existed, correct? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know there was a place at South Mountain that I could go hunting on. So, yeah. Right. I yeah. thought that, I, I always thought South Mountain was just a place you go hike and look at the waterfall. So I had no right. idea there was a game lands portion to it. So, yep. Yep. And hunting the national forest and everything too. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess, so you and I, we went up to South Mountain Game Lands and we hunted and I had done a little bit of e-scouting beforehand. I'm fairly familiar with South Mountain Game Lands. We hunted a portion that I had been on, but I never actually hunted it. Um, so I guess f- from your perspective, like, like how was that? Like, what did, what did you think about being out and, and, and riding up and hunting South Mountain and how that worked? Uh, it was pretty, uh, it was, 
pretty brutal. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, I think that hunt taught me a lot about, um, just the planning that needs Mm -hmm. to go into it. Um, not saying that, that you didn't have a plan. Your plan was great. Um, I think, I think we could have probably gotten a deer that day. Um, but two your, I guess the first two spots you wanted to hunt, the first two choices, both were taken. So we were just kind of winging it. But for me, it was, it was a learning experience in, um, just the equipment I needed to bring. Cause all I brought was a pack essentially and a coat and, uh, um, I didn't, I didn't have anything to, to sit on. I didn't bring anything to, I didn't bring a tripod or a bi- monopod, anything to shoot from. Um, so it was definitely informative of, you know, bring a, bring a poncho, even if you don't think there's going to be rain, <laughs> bring right. a poncho, at least get, at least get like a bipod or something. Uh, so but, yeah, um, and 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 you saying that, and I was aware of kind of some of the things that I didn't bring, and even that you didn't bring uh, on this hunt, and it, it even helped me out because I was like, oh well, I'm the mentor in this situation. I should have thought about that, but to me, it was like second nature. So it's mm-hmm. totally lapse of judgment on on my part. No, no, um, I, yeah, I, it was it was you know I'm a you know I've done lots of backpacking and camping. I should have known. Um, for some reason, I didn't need, I didn't even check the weather. So I was just like, oh, we're just going. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it rains, it yeah. rains, but it, it was pretty mild most of the day. And then, yep. but when that, uh, I guess it's around four forty-five, five o'clock, sun started going down, the wind started picking up and that rain just came out of nowhere. It got, it got brutal, brutal cold. So just yep. real fast. Yeah. And, it got uh, cold quick. But, but it was a good experience. Again, it, it was, I, I view it as a win, as a positive, because, uh, you know, we both were, I, you know, I know I learned a, a whole lot. Um, right. Again, and then also about uh, just just kind of scouting as we were walking, you know, figuring out where deer were, seeing if we could find tracks, seeing if we could find the scats, see if we could find, you know, rubs, um, stuff yeah. I normally don't look for when I'm just going out hiking. Right. But it's, you've kind of given me an idea of, okay, you know, when you're hiking out somewhere or if you're scouting for a place to hunt, you know, this is what you need. This is what it looks like. This is what you need to look for. So, well, yeah, and I, I, we got lucky from that standpoint. Like you said, I, I had two ridges picked out. We were going to hunt. They kind of both hunted the same area. Um, it was places that I had previously scouted. I knew that there were some good bucks in the area based on trail camera pictures and stuff. Then we ended up having to hunt a different spot. Um, unfortunately we ended up coming up on a dead end and, uh, in the woods and it was just so thick. It wasn't, we weren't going to be able to move through it efficiently and be able to get to hunt, but we were lucky to where, where we did end up walking into the woods, we were able to find some deer sign pretty quickly. So even though we didn't, we didn't run across that deer that was making them, you were able to see the sign that was there and kind of get a, get an idea of what you were looking for and kind of where it would be and things. Uh, and what you would be looking at. So I, I thought that was great. I was happy that we did see that. I was pretty disappointed after that day though. Um, just because of how it all worked out, I felt I should have prepared better. I should have better set the situation up. I didn't know at the time, if we would have kept driving, there was another ridge that we could have went out on, um, and hunted 
But like I just had a conversation with a buddy of mine that I actually duck hunted with yesterday. We were talking this morning and he had been looking at a map and he was like, every time I look at this stupid thing, it's like I've never even been there before. And I told him, <laughs> I said, it's the same way when I look at a map of South Mountain. It's yep. like, why didn't I see that? How have I never noticed that? So, yep. but uh, yeah, and I, I am glad you did get something out of it. My goal for that day, and I'll just be totally honest, wasn't necessarily for you to get a deer. I wanted you to see how to access the land. Um mm-hmm. And you can take you can take everything that you got from that day and go apply it somewhere else. Find the parking areas and things. Um, oh, yeah. And there's still some stuff that we we would need to go through. I believe you used Onyx Maps that day, right? I did. Yep. You didn't buy it, but you used the app, or did you buy yeah. it? No, I've got the uh, I've got the free uh, trial version, I guess. Uh, right. So, yeah. Um, and you know, I, I probably won't get out hunting until deer season again i guess at the end of this year um right so at that point i might have time to to download it and and i guess pay the subscription um right now we're we're in the middle of trying to get our house ready to sell and and we've got a move probably coming up this summer so um, oh yeah probably just take a break from it all until again next next year but hopefully we'll be in a better place maybe even have who knows, but, you know, I'm hoping to have just a little bit of land that maybe I could even hunt on, you know, my own private property. Um, it doesn't take much, man. So it doesn't take much. Yeah. So, but, uh, so after, after you get all that straightened out, we can definitely get you back out there and you can, you can get out there on your own. Um, maybe hopefully fingers crossed, we can get you out for a potential squirrel hunt or something. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> before the season goes out. Cause that's quick. That's short. You, and you do learn a lot of stuff. I talked about it on the last podcast a little bit about you do learn things squirrel hunting that are applicable to deer hunting. You learn some woodsmanship. You, um, you're already familiar with a gun, so it's a little bit different, but you, you would pick up some different things with a gun doing that. So, um, but so after this hunt, like I said, I was, I was kind of disappointed. I I did. I began to feel bad that I had kind of, uh, shit you out of an opportunity to, to get a deer because I knew that we had a, we had a private farm that we had some other hunters coming to. And I didn't want to, I did, I wanted to make it fair for everybody else. So I knew you wanted public land. You would get more out of that. So that's why we did that hunt, but we got lucky and some people backed out of the private, this private land hunt on this farm. And I was able to get you in on that. Mm-hmm. And so I guess going from there, um, I guess you can, you, won't you tell the story from your perspective of how this whole hunt went down from, from the, from the beginning of the day, um, I guess to, to the point at which I say, let's, let's stop from where you, you get to take the shot or okay. right around that area. So I guess basically, you know, you, you told me that somebody dropped out and I, I, uh, <laughs> I texted my wife immediately and was like, Hey, I need to go do this tomorrow. Is that cool? Or maybe it was later, than, I guess it was earlier in the week before we, did that but she was cool with it and um so you know tried to go to bed early got i actually packed a poncho the night before <laughs> this time around yeah. just in case even though there wasn't any rain in the forecast i checked the forecast this time too um but uh everything you know weather was perfect um woke up really early got everything packed up hopped in the car and then and, and took off um that was I mean, it was super early. I think we were supposed to be at the farm at 530 in the morning and I live about 30 minutes away. So, you know, you definitely have to be 
intentional about going to bed and waking up. Um, but got there and, uh, some of the, some of the other guys were rolling in and I guess we kind of sit around the, the fire there, um, stay warm and everybody kind of did a gear check. Uh, one of the guys gave me his, I guess, fall rest system and, uh, made sure everything was, was hooked up right there. Um, and then we guess got our guns and got it, made sure we had everything and we took off in the dark. So, um, and it was interesting because it's so dark out there when we were, when we were making our way to the tree stand, um, it's like you couldn't see, you know, all, all you right. could see was what, what our headlamps pointed at. So right. it was kind of eerie. I, I wasn't aware. I, I had no sense of the landscape around me. Like I knew we were in yeah. a field, but I didn't know how far it went to the left or to the right. Yeah. And then, you know, next thing I know, um, you know, you told me to kill the light and we got to the tree stand using your red light. And, uh, again, it was, it was really disorienting. So yeah. I'm glad you knew where you were going. <laughs> well, and I think, I think that's something that's kind of difficult for, uh, a lot of people. If, I mean, very few people are outside during the dark, mm-hmm. like, like walking through the woods in, in the dark outside of hunters. Um, I've got a buddy of mine. He's only been hunting four or five years. I've talked about him on the podcast a few times already. He likes it. His name's Dustin. Hey, Dustin. Um, but he hadn't been hunting long. Um, but he still isn't, it's not a scared of the dark thing. His, his feelings are the same as yours. He was like, it just is weird trotting through the woods when all I can see is my feet and it's dark outside. It's kind of disorienting. You know what I mean? It is, it is not. And even for, I mean, I don't know any hunter that just like wakes up in the morning, especially people that are going and hunting game land stuff that wake up and they're just thrilled about going and walking around in the woods in the dark. Right. It's, it just is something you do. And it takes, it is, I mean, it only makes sense to me that it takes something to get used to. I yep. mean, it's something I've been doing forever and it's just kind of, well, it is what you do. I mean, it, you, you is it's what you do. You go. It, it's not as scary. Like you said, it's not yeah. a scary thing. It's, it's more of just a, like you have to, you have to know where you're going. You have to know how to get there. It's a planning yeah. thing. Like yeah. I didn't know, I didn't know where we were going. So I was just like, I, I'm just following you. Like all I can right. see is yeah. this red light and I'm just going to follow. <laughs> I'm just following yeah. you. So yeah, well, and, I felt the same way when I was yeah. in Kentucky this year. I mean, the first time I walked into the woods, I had been to the stand the day before I knew where the tree was and I'm walking and I had to make a turn off of this road. And as soon as I turned off that road, I was like, well, I'm either on the right road or I'm lost. Yep. Hopefully I walk up on the stand. So, I mean, because it doesn't look the same. I don't care. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like this, this doesn't look like where I was yesterday. And for you, you had never been there. So you, when the sun came up, I bet you were like, oh, that's where I walked from. Yeah. It made sense. And yeah. So once we got in the stand, um, you know, if we, I get, I feel like I just, I had just gotten my rifle kind of set up and took the duct tape off the end of it. So, <laughs> um, and, uh, so yeah, we, we got up there and, and I feel like we were just kind of getting settled and you kind of, you kind of turned over to me and you said, there's deer right over there. At, I guess, what would that be? Like five o'clock or five o'clock coming up over the the horizon on the hill on an open field and i kind of looked and uh you could just barely see their little heads like you said just on the crest of the horizon 
And man, right, right then and there, it was just like, oh man, this, we're going to do this thing. So, yeah. sorry, I got a kid up there crying. If y'all can hear, he's supposed to be taking a nap. So, <laughs> no worries. They, they listen to my dogs a lot of times. So, <laughs> um, but anyway, yes. Yeah, so we saw the, you spotted the deer coming over the horizon, coming down and they were coming just right beside our stand. And, uh, I mean, there was a few openings, a few shooting lanes. And I remember asking you like, Hey, do you want me to like, like put the rifle kind of a, <laughs> kind of right in front of you to take a shot? And I remember you saying, no, nah, man, this is good. You can, you can, uh, you can wait. They'll, they'll walk down right in front of us. And, and they did. Yeah. Yep. And, um, so I started getting set up. I started getting set up and just, just waiting for them to get, I guess, in front of, in front of my line of sight. And, yep. uh, and it, they did take a while. I mean, oh, they yeah. came out and they fed a little bit on top of the hill. Um, I could see them bits and pieces of them. Then they kind of disappeared. And then when you watch enough deer, you kind of figure out, okay, they're going somewhere and they mm-hmm. kind of turned and started coming down the hill. And I told you, I was like, they're coming. They'll be yep. here. Yep. And then, uh, the leader of that little pack or herd, I'm not sure what you call a group of deer. Um, yeah. Herd. Herd. Yeah. The yep. leader of that herd was, was the, the one I ended up taking and she started to come into an opening just dead straight in front of us, probably 70, what was it? 70, 75 yards where I ran in there. Yeah. I ranged um, it at like 76, I believe. Okay. And, uh, but yeah, I remember, I remember you saying just wait till she cleared that little patch of little patch of woods and, and, and I was, I was already behind the scope just waiting for, her. I actually let her kind of walk into my crosshairs. So, um, it just worked out perfectly. Um, yep. And I mean, I was prepared to stop her when she walked out and luckily, um, I was just getting ready to stop her by making a little bit of noise and, um, she stopped, she stopped perfect and you were already ready because when, when I got take the shot out of my mouth, um, and we do have it on video. So it's pretty much as soon as I said it, um, the gun went off, which mm-hmm. was something that, um, like, like you didn't, you were ready. You were, you were fully prepared, um, to take the shot. It wasn't rust or anything, which was for new hunters with a deer standing there. It, uh, it could be difficult. I know it's difficult for old hunters with a deer standing there. So, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know that I'm, I don't want to say that I'm, I'm used to it because I've never shot anything before, but I've just spent so much time behind, you know, that I look at squirrels in my backyard sometimes through my rifle scope. So, so it wasn't kind right. of, it wasn't a new, I don't know. It just, it, it, there was no hang up there. Um, once right. you, had, you up, had essentially done, you had done everything, but pulled the trigger. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've got, I've got good triggers in my rifles. They, you know, it doesn't take much. So, so, right. yeah. so there's, there was no fighting it once, once you commit to take that safety off, you know, yeah. it's only yeah. two and a half, three pounds of pressure and it's, it's done. So, yeah. so, so she stops, you squeeze the trigger. Boom. Mm-hmm. What happened? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd say up until that point, I was fine. It was just, mm-hmm. you know, just regular, you know, oh, we're just sitting here about the, it was like target shooting to me. But after, 
I pulled the trigger and heard the thump, you know, of that bullet hitting. She took off. I was kind of, that's, that's when it hit me. That yeah. was when, cause she didn't, I didn't drop her. She took off, ran for, I don't know, another 80 yards or so before she fell down. But, uh, I was confused. I, cause I'm, cause I saw the deer there. I saw her take off after I shot her, but I remember asking you, did I drop her? And I'm like, well, I saw her run off. Why would I ask her that? Um, yeah. or why would I ask if I dropped her? And then you said, about, you know, just a few seconds later, we both heard her just kind of crash in the woods. Yeah. I think, I think what I was asking was, did, did did she ever go down? Not that I I knew I didn't drop her right then and there, but it was a, you know, Hey, is she gonna, did she just take off? Like, (laughs) yeah, I didn't know if I'd, if I'd had a kill shot on her or not. Yeah. No. And as, as soon as the gun went off, when you shot her, I told you, I was like, dead deer. I was like, she's mm-hmm. dead. Don't worry about it. Um, and I, I, to me, a deer running off is nothing. Like, yeah. majority of the deer you shoot, they run off. Um, it's just the nature of the game. They mm-hmm. are, they're, they're dead on their feet. It's something I guess you kind of have to get comfortable with. But, um, and, and in particular, if, if for, I like to double long shoot deer. Okay, so I'm shooting a little bit behind the front legs. I like to double lung them, and you lose less meat that way. And they are going to run off a lot of times. Um, the majority of the time when you double lung them, it's a it's a very short run. That deer from from the time you shot to the time that that deer was dead was ten seconds. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I told you immediately. I was like, "That's a dead deer. Congratulations!" And then we did. We heard a crash. Mm-hmm. Um. So which makes me think I, she was dead before she hit the ground. I mean, she, oh, yeah. she died yeah. in stride. Just, yeah, uh, yeah, gone. she did. Um, and 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 I and that's when the adrenaline gets going for everybody. Um, yep. Most people are good, you know. It always gets a lot worse um, after it's over because you get that adrenaline dump, and that's when the shaking really gets going. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. So, yeah, I think I was fine until it started getting cold. I don't think I really experienced the shakes too much, <laughs> but yeah. The wind picked up and I started to get cold because we had to sit there for another three hours. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we sat there for a while. So, and it, it after sitting there too long, I didn't have any the warm hands or whatever, and uh, so yeah, it, it got kind of cold. But uh, um, no, I, I don't. If I maybe if I'd have done this younger, like if I was doing this in my late teens, early twenties, it might have scarred me a little more but i you know i i'm very appreciative but uh, uh for for the deer and and for for being the the sacrifice so that i can eat but um right you know it like you were saying it, it it's just that's part of it you know so yep. death you don't get the you don't get to eat the meat without without something having to die so yeah oh yeah yep for sure, man. Um, uh, and I think that's that's kind of a separation. This is a this is a horse that's beat to death in the hunting community uh, when we're defending ourselves. But there are people that are separated from where meat comes from, um, and, and I think that it's something that everyone should be aware of and 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 familiar with. Um, and I know not not everybody 
wants to take an animal's life to do it. And I'm not saying it's a requirement to eat meat, but I mean, you still, you should, I don't think you should look down on hunters for taking a life when you're doing the same thing, you know, <laughs> and, and, and knowing where it comes from. And it's, it's, it's a necessary part of it. So, oh, but yes. So you shoot the deer, she crashes, you and I sit there. At this point in time, we're waiting on a buck. Um, um, another buck never shows up. Another deer never showed up. Um, as the morning wore on, uh, we both got kind of tired of sitting there having conversations and stuff. We're so anyway, so but, <laughs> but we get down and we go get the deer. So what did you think about the tracking? Because I didn't tell you this at the time, but the first sign when I walked up and when I saw Bone sitting there, I was like, I know he did not shoot this deer in the leg. Mm-hmm. It was like, I, I'm playing the situation back over in my head. Like, I know it was a good shot. I saw where it hit her. It sounded good. There's no reason bone should be right here. I didn't tell you um, that because I didn't want you to be worried. I wanted you to kind of get the experience on your own without any outside influence or whatever. But I could already see other blood leaving the field. So I was confident. So was <coughs> that? I guess was that bone... I mean, it had to be part of the ribs, right? It was. I mean, it was rib. It ended up okay. being rib bone. It was a perfect shot. Spoiler yeah. alert: perfect shot. Um, which everybody already knew that, but. Well, thanks. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. I, I only I only knew where to shoot because he told me. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, I guess when we walked up where uh, where it had been hit, um, I didn't even see the blood or the bone. First thing I saw was where she dug into the ground and took off. So just, right. just a big old dirt clump where she where she uh, dug in and and, and launched. Um, and it took me a while. You were like, because you, you told me you you wanted to use it as a as an educational moment, and which oh, I yeah. appreciate because I I t- would have totally missed it. But you were like, come on, there's you were like there's sun right in front of you it's right under your nose and i I was looking all over the ground i was just like just tunnel vision on the ground and i didn't see a whole lot of blood just little specks here and there and then you kind of told me to look up and you pointed and there was this huge just blood all over the uh i guess this old uh corn crop that was standing up and i was oh there it is you know that's Yep. That's where the impact happened. So, um, and then from there, we kind of tracked it a little ways, um, just a little bit of blood here and there um, towards the wood line. And then uh, we we kind of lost it right at there at, at the trees. Um, and we, so we kind of were, uh, we thought it went one way and we walked into the tree line and, and didn't see anything, couldn't find any signs. So we doubled back went back and um, I found some prints of where the other deer that had been with, with this, this doe had ran into the woods. And I, you know, I, I assumed they probably followed her trail. And um, soon after we found that little, that little track, we started seeing some more blood and, uh, and then um, you were kind of walking around looking for more blood spots and, I got down, I crouched down and I could see under the, the, uh, the, the leaves, the branches, I saw her laying over there and you were like, come on, if you can see any more little blood spot, we can, then I said, well, there she is right over there. <laughs> yep. And, uh, 
and you were ecstatic, man. You were, you, you got super happy and I was too. I was just like, there, you know, there she is, you know, dude, I love it, man. I I love, it never gets old. I don't care who shoots the deer. I I just, and I don't care what it is. Um, I I actually took a picture of it. Like from that point, it's like, you know, I was like, hang on, I got to get a picture. Like kind of just that, that, like you said, that, that first view. That was one thing you did a great job of capturing this whole moment on photos. So that was one of the reasons why I said to you, man, don't worry about the hide and everything. Cause you you took in everything. You absorbed this thing. So you've, you've got the memories. So yeah, I'll never forget it. Yeah. Um, it's like it happened yesterday. <laughs> yep. So, um, but yeah. It, and then we, uh, yeah, so we, we, we walked over there. It was kind of, it was kind of, well, I guess we did continue to, to follow the blood trail just to figure out where exactly she went. Um, in the case that maybe one of us hadn't seen her, you know, tried to navigate our way to her with the blood. Um, yeah. But it was pretty much from that point on, it was kind of a straight shot. Um, mm-hmm. And then once we got to her, uh, man, it, it was pretty cool. Um, I knew, I mean, she was she was long gone. Uh, which was kind of relief to me. Um, I've heard some pretty bad stories since then of um, some hunters I know, uh, you know, coming up on a deer and having to having to do something else to it. So, yeah, oh, I was yeah. thankful she was she was long gone, and you know, just, you're able to kind of sit down there and pet her and and and, and feel her and feel the hide and. Um, Deer, I mean, it's kind of like a big dog. So it was, and, and she she was right where we thought she was. Mm-hmm. I mean, right where we heard her crash. It was, I mean, and and, and the tracking job for a first time tracking job, it couldn't have been any more perfect because you were able. To, it wasn't a, it wasn't a real struggle. I mean, to where we're on our hands and knees. But then again, at the same time, it wasn't like a stream of blood going right to her either. Um, right. It was, I mean, you were able to track her. You, you, you did a great job using tracks to figure out what was going on. You, you went back up and down the wood line on your own. You picked up the blood trail after we had went into the wrong location. So you, you on that tracking job, I really was, I was legitimately impressed um, with, with the things that you were noticing and the things you were picking up. And I think that's going to end up going a long way just in general of helping you become a better hunter. Cause you did notice things. Um, that I don't think a lot of people would have noticed without being shown. Um, so, and it was a real struggle for me not to just walk right into the woods because I knew she was in there dead. Um, but I was like, Oh, we need a tracker. And then when we get to the woods and we kind of lost blood. I was like, well, I'm just gonna walk in here and find her. So I walk in there and I'm kind of trying to look around for, her, um, and ended up making a mistake. I mean, I went in in the wrong spot. Um, and, and we didn't know it, but she had kind of turned a little bit once we lost sight of her. <coughs> excuse me mm-hmm. and she had just taken a different trail but i thought it was it made my day that you were the first one to see her you were the first one to lay eyes on her and you got all the pictures and everything man and congratulations again i mean oh, man. it was you, yeah, you, you did great <laughs> yeah i'm still pumped up I, uh yeah it, oh and i didn't uh we didn't go over that uh thing where i i texted uh my mom and my sister, um, that I oh, got yeah. one. And I said, we're, you know, I, I got one and we're just up here in the tree stand waiting for a buck. And uh, they, they were pissed. <laughs> yeah. So they were like, wait, you shot Bambi's mom. 
So yep. I was just like, well, if that's the way you want to look at it. <laughs> Do- yeah. Does are made for eating too. Yep. Uh, here in North Carolina, we have a f- fairly liberal amount of tags compared to a lot of states, um, which, and this is pretty common in the Southeast, but we're allowed to take six deer. Two of those deer statewide can be bucks or all six of them can be does. Um, so you're, it's totally legal, totally ethical, zero issues at all. This farm we are on is a very, very magnificently managed farm. It's owned by the Jarman family, um, here in Gaston County. They were, they were bent over backwards to help out Gaston Paul's an organization that I'm responsible with. And they have the deer. They have tons of does. They have tons of bucks running around good age class of deer. Um, and there so were six it was or seven doe in that herd that, that, yeah. that we got mine in. So, yeah, yeah, there's, there's, there's no moral issues with shooting a doe whatsoever. Like I said, they all eat the same. Um, there's, there's no more of an impact on North Carolina's deer herd by taking out does. This is all scientifically based tag system. This is what we've been allocated by the state to go do. And so, but I did, I got a laugh out of it. I understand. Yep the the perception of it and it, it's always comical to me it's like oh you shot a you shot a doe but then if you shoot a big buck oh you're just a trophy hunter well what can yeah. i do then you know yeah. what i mean shoot the little bucks well that doesn't make any sense either because well, <laughs> you shoot all the little ones and you don't have the big ones so well and i think it's funny because my sister's in the restaurant business and uh um it's like well i mean did you you're eating a cow <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's yeah. a female bovine. So, and uh, and, anyway. and at the end of the day, it's all personal choice. Yep. But yeah, that is a good point. The so, but yeah, it's personal choice. If you want to shoot a doe, shoot a doe. If you don't, don't. If you want only shoot big bucks, only shoot big bucks. If you want to shoot every deer that walks out and fill all six tags, do it. Um, <sighs> it's all personal choice, and I just think that's when getting into it. Um, I. Like I said, this is something that's really foreign to me because I've been doing it my whole life, but I couldn't imagine the amount of pressure that's on somebody. If you were to just watch YouTube and watch people hunt um, on these TV shows of like, Oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. When most of the time these TV shows couldn't be further from reality. Like I should film something and put it on YouTube and we're going to follow around most of the people I know that hunt. And like, I'll, I, if I was to film it minute by minute, nobody would watch the show. They'd be like, this is the most boring thing I've ever seen in my life. Like there's no deer. They never kill anything. Like what's going on? Well, you're not getting a highlight reel <laughs> of yeah. a season, you know, or you're not getting just the good moments. I mean, there's a lot of boredom. There's a lot of sitting around waiting. I mean, well, that's that's what I appreciated about the uh, the game lands hunt because we went right. out there. It just it was, you know, we weren't successful. I I, didn't, I don't even think I saw a squirrel out there. Um, right, but uh, but just yep. being out in the woods and yeah. Again, it was, I was still able to learn from it. Maybe not from a deer processing, field dressing perspective, but from a uh, scouting perspective, from a gear perspective, and just for uh, better uh, being prepared the next time. Um, so, right. again, even I feel like you learn more from your failures, failures than you do from your successes. So, yep. Or you can. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, it's the, it's the, and I hate that I'm quoting Conor McGregor, but I don't lose. I learn type deal. Like you've got to take something out of every hunt, no matter what, um, when you're going out and about, particularly when you're new 
and you're going out to new areas and things, you got to take something away from it. Um, and I think yep. if you go into it like with that perspective and go into it with the perspective of, of enjoying the outdoors and try to take as much pressure off of yourself as you possibly can, then it's always going to be a good experience. Um, that's one thing that I've done over the past couple of years that's kind of made my deer hunting miserable is I've, I've put a lot of pressure on myself to, to accomplish certain goals that I have. And then when they don't get done or the time starts ticking down or they, they end up negatively impacting my hunt. And one of my, I mean, it's not really a new year's resolution, but, uh, for next hunting season, like I'm just going to go back to trying to enjoy it more, um, than what I have the, the past two years and just kind of the, the stuff that I've put on myself. And that's with me being, um, a hunting for, for my entire life. So with, with coming into it and, and, and having the mentality of you've got to kill a deer to be successful, that's putting a lot of pressure on something on, on yourself. And, and you really don't even know what you're doing. Yeah, I so mean, and I don't mean that insulting to new hunters, but you don't, well, um, it's, not, it's out of your control. You know, right. It's like, it's, it's kind of difficult to make goals on something that, you know, it, completely you, know, you can't change whether or not you're going to see a deer you can do all your homework um you can do everything right and yep you still might not see anything that season or that right. day and that's that's so. exactly it and that was something i stressed when i taught the scouting portion of the seminar because i told you all i said y'all are all going to go out you're going to take everything that i'm telling you you're thinking i'm sitting here preaching the gospel you're going to go out you're going to apply everything and you're not going to see a deer and you're going and then i'm going to be a liar you know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, I don't know what I'm talking about. But that's exactly how it is. There can be all the sign in the world. You can do all your homework. And, man, do you, realistically, especially if you're bow hunting in the southeast and you're hunting some thick stuff, like we were fortunate enough to be hunting a cornfield. But if you're getting out in the woods and you're hunting in some timber and you, you want one deer in particular to walk within 30 yards of you, 40 yards of you, so you can get a shot in all of these woods, and you want to yeah. be sitting, you, you think that you're supposed to be sitting there at that one time when he comes by and then you're going to get mad when he doesn't like, good luck. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've spent a whole season trying to do that and it gets frustrating. It's, it's aggravating. Um, but you got to realize it's going to be aggravating. You got to realize that it's hard work and you, and you have to roll with it. And, well, uh, I think, I think if you is, sit out and enjoy it, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think the problem is the, all the big bucks, they know when the, they know when the legal hunting hours are. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. They're not dumb. They, they're, and that's, and that's a joke that is cracked in, uh, in a many a hunting circles. If you want to see deer go squirrel hunting, if you want to see squirrels go deer hunting, that type of deal, they always know when you're out there, they're kind of like Santa Claus, you know? Yep. Um, but it, it is, I mean, that is a common joke, but I mean, it takes a lot of hard work. It takes a ton of hard work. Some of the deer killingest people that I know work harder than anybody I know. They go the extra mile. Um, and that's why a lot of times I step back and I look at like how my season went and stuff. And when I'm complaining, it's like, well, what do you expect? You didn't work as hard as most people. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. You weren't out there all of the time. So um, I just think if you go into hunting with the, with the mindset of, you know, it's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be frustrating at times. Um, there are going to be a lot of days where you don't see deer. Maybe you don't see that one deer or, or whatever. There is going to be adversity. Just enjoy being outside. I think it makes the whole experience a whole lot easier um, to to absorb. Um, and, and and the reason I do, the reason I say all that, once again, is because of the media that's out there that you go look at. 
and it makes it look like it's like a turkey shoot. You know what I mean? Like a, oh, yeah. I mean, in the sense of we're going out and shooting targets on a range, and that's not what it is. It's not picking and choosing. It's not shooting fish in a barrel. So yeah, yep. I mean, but, that I, I see a lot of. Uh, my brother-in-law has a bunch of bucks up on his uh, on his wall, and some of these. I mean, just huge bucks and, uh, um, you know, he, he has to go to, to Iowa or Illinois, um, yeah. to find these things. I mean, he doesn't even find these around here. He's got most of the deer he's got mounted, um, are from out of state hunts that he's had to pay lots of money to go and do. So, right. um, again, that, and, and I don't have that kind of time to, to, to give to it right now with my kids are so young. So right. Right. Again, and there's I'm nothing wrong to, with that. Yeah. I'm just there's nothing wrong outside. with going out on these hunts. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. There's nothing wrong with however you want to approach the hunt. But I think getting into it, you have to be aware of the entire situation that you're in. And if, if you, if you're going to go out and you're going to do it on public land, you need to have a certain type of expectations. If you're yeah. going to go out and you have the ability to go out and hunt these farms, you need to have a different set of expectations. And it's, it's not a universal, uh, set of, set of rules. And it's not, not rules. Rules is the wrong word, but it's not the, the scenarios aren't the same. They're not equal. Right. Um, yeah, I, I brought him up just to say, you know, don't, no need to compare yourself to, oh, no, to these yeah, guys totally that have been a, hunting all their lives and go yeah. and spend thousands of dollars to be able to go to different states and do it. Um, right. I mean, that's, that's why they have these, these awesome, uh, bucks mounted in their homes is because you know they they just put a lot more into it and right you know you got to be realistic like you said of you're going to get out of it what you put into it so and then sometimes yep. you're not going to get anything out of it you just got to enjoy being outside <laughs> yeah so. yeah well, and that's that's exactly it man well brother we're going on we're over an hour now um and i know i've eaten up enough of your time you got a family to get back to and i've got a i've got a to-do list that i need to get to on the sunday afternoon but man, it was good talking to you. Yep. I'm glad you enjoyed your time out there. I appreciate the message you sent me after the hunt. Um, I'm, I'm really glad I got to experience it with you. And I do, like I said, I, it's a hunt that I won't forget. I really enjoy being with other people when they hunt. That's one of the big things with hunting for me and, and for it to work out and you to get that deer. And like I said, knowing what it meant to you, dude, it was an awesome experience. Oh yeah, man. I, I, I appreciate you taking me under your wing and and getting me started and like i said this is this is something that that i'm going to continue to do um hopefully for the rest of my life and hopefully have a good legacy to leave my children and uh, you know that's that's one of the other reasons again i'm you know i'm going back to square one here but again one of the reasons that that i do it all is just to be able to leave that legacy behind, teach them how to do it too. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, man, you, uh, you invested into me and, and into future generations by doing that. So, I mean, I, good deal, man. Well, it all to yeah. you, man. well, I appreciate it. That's, that's what we're all trying to do at Gaston Paul's and the North Carolina wildlife federation and getting started outdoors. And then your, your other state agencies and your ducks unlimiteds of the world and your national wild turkey federation is to try to get additional folks involved so this can go on to future generations and that's that's why we're doing it um it helps generate more money for the wildlife and everything but i want i want people to be able to hunt for twice as long as what they've already been hunting 
Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, for how many ever thousands of years we've been doing it, I want to do it double that. So awesome. good deal, man. Well, brother, enjoy the rest of your day. I will see you tomorrow at work. Um, yeah, man. Be on the lookout for the podcast. So I'll do it. I'll tune in and All have right, fun man. on that honey-do oh. list. Real quick, one thing, though, I wanted to point out to people. Tell people what your Instagram is because you do a lot of drawing. You're super talented with the uh, – you do outdoor Thanks, drawings man. and everything. I know one thing you're doing right now. It's gun doodles. Uh, yeah. What is that on Instagram, yep. at gun doodles? Yeah, just at gun doodles, uh, G-U-N-D-O-O-D-L-E-S. Um, yeah, I've been doing some gun portraits here lately. <laughs> um, yep. I'm, I'm big into the uh, – the AR-15, uh, and uh, I actually actually used an AR-15 to take that deer. Um, yep, so 300 blackout, right? 300 blackout, yep. Um, suppressed uh, 10.2-inch uh, short-belt rifle. Um, but, yeah, anyway, I can – we can talk guns for another, you know, 24 hours, but, <laughs> well, we um, do have, we've got a gun segment on the podcast. We'll have you back on about that. Awesome. Um, so. but yeah, so yeah, draw guns. Uh, I, I draw wildlife too. Um, but that one's just more for like the, uh, uh, I guess the outdoor gun, um, hunting, uh, fishing. I draw some fish too. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I, I just do, do a lot of artwork. I'll do commissions work, uh, you know, if you got a buck you've mounted, you want me to draw, just shoot me a DM and I'll, I'll, uh, you know, we can work that out. So. Yep. yep. And if, and if they're interested in your other stuff, like I said, reach out to the gun doodles one, you'll send them. Cause you run what? Two other Instagram pages. Well, one more with one, the drawings, right? Yeah. Yeah. I got one yeah. more with, uh, more, uh, professional stuff with the, on the planning side of things that guys listening to this might not be into. (laughs) Yeah. Good deal, man. Well, appreciate you being on dude. Enjoy the rest of your day and I'll see you tomorrow. Hey, thanks man. You too. Hey, this is Nikki G and uh, I grew up in Ohio where there's, not much wildlife. So I, I got a wildlife question for you. We didn't have any, like, bears or snakes or anything like that. And uh, so I moved to North Carolina, and now there's, like, all kinds of wildlife. So uh, my question is, is, have any of you guys ever encountered a Bigfoot? And if so, was he wearing pants? All right, guys. Uh, I'll catch you later. You have a good one. Bye. So Bigfoot wearing pants. What do you think, Chuck? No Bigfoot. Um, I've never seen Bigfoot, but if if people aren't aware, there is a Bigfoot festival, um, I believe, in Mar- Marion or Morganton. I bet Marion every year. If you'd be interested in checking it out, I've got a buddy of mine who goes. Um, he's he's really interested in Bigfoot. He's a pseudo-believer. Really? So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like by pseudo believer, I mean he thinks it's funny to say he believes in Bigfoot to make other people mad. <laughs> well, I I tell you, I I definitely have never seen Bigfoot, Nikki G. Uh, I'm not saying he's not out there, but then again, there's supposed to be like a Great Northwest Bigfoot. There's one out here in the Appalachian area as well. So I don't yep. know. Not saying he isn't, but well, I personally there's one in Kaiser. I forgot about that one too. What's that? Kaiser, right up the road from my house. They've got one named Nobby. No kidding. 
Oh, so, my goodness. Yeah, they're around, apparently. So. <laughs> well, hey, if you see one, send us a pic. We'd love to see it. And so would Nick G. Want to be on the show? Maybe share with us some interesting hunting, fishing, overlanding, wheeling, or adventuring news? Then give us a call at Route 16 Grind Hotline at 919-694-3356. And maybe you will be on our next show. In the Rock, Mud and Dirt is brought to you by Warren Industries. At Warren, we pour our effort and our thirst for adventure into every product we make. You better believe American pride runs deep here in Clackamas, Oregon. Here, a small army of engineers, technicians, machinists, and assemblers design and refine Warren products, bringing them as close to perfection as possible. Their work is backed up by legendary quality control that doesn't just stand up to rigid Warren standards. It lives up to the toughest demands of the world's top vehicle manufacturers and military suppliers. How do we know? Because they've partnered with Warren for decades. This quest for peerless reliability, this Warren difference, will be around as long as Warren Industries is in business. At least another 70 years. Go prepared. Go Warren. Welcome to The Rock mud and dirt this week i'm going to share the story of a brand that is well known in the off-road and motorsports industries that brand is casey highlights casey highlights was started by an american entrepreneur peter kim brown and his wife carol brown use their initials kc he did this in his garage in sagas california as a pickup truck owner and avid off-road enthusiast he was looking for some improved lighting for his vehicle in the late 1960s, Pete was camping in Parker, Arizona and nearly missed a necessary turn at night. Without any good auxiliary lighting products available on the market at the time, he set off to create the first off-road lighting system known as the KC's Daylighter, which has changed the off-road lighting industry forever. Now, Pete found some aircraft landing bulbs and retrofit them to steel housings, which would serve as the initial concept for KC's Daylighter. When friends and truck enthusiasts saw the performance and the quality of daylighters, they wanted the lights. Pete was a computer operator at night, so during the day, he would build KC lights in his garage. He started advertising in camping magazines and promoting his products at local races. As demand for KC's grew, he employed neighbors to help him with assembly so he could scale the business. Pete and his small team would also package and ship to consumers all around Southern California. The company grew rapidly, and by 1974, it was time to make the full-time job. Pete relocated Casey Highlights to Williams, Arizona, where the main factory remains today. Little did he know the lights he engineered for his personal truck would become a global icon in the lighting industry with global distribution in 35 countries around the world. KC Daylighters served as a backbone of KC's product line for generations. As the band of the deserts increased, Pete developed various enhancements including special pavement isolated rubber mount and rubber reflector ring for the Daylighter to enhance vibration dampening within metal housing, which he experienced during his off-road adventures. The 70s and 80s brought more innovations in lighting and KC was at the forefront. Many long hours were spent collaborating with GE engineers, learning about, learning about the intricacies of lighting, seal beams, filaments, and varied types of construction, wattage, what panel power was really all about. Casey's products were always tested by Pete, but also by many race teams, which included off-road pioneer Walker Evans and Ivan Stewart. Since the beginning, Casey's involvement with motorsports has been critical to the process of designing, engineering, and manufacturing the most advanced performance lighting available. In the 90s, Casey developed various products including HID high-intensity discharge technology based on the same metal halide concept used to illuminate giant sports complexes. 
KC's HID lights are now found on many winning off-road race vehicles, including Cameron Steele, Jason Voss, Rob McCarron, Scott Douglas, Ron Witten, Randy Merritt, Shannon Campbell, and many others. As the original manufacturer of off-road auxiliary lighting, KC Highlights continues to set the standard they created. Today, you can find many popular KC product lines on off-road rigs, buggies, side-by-sides, and more. From the popular Apollo Pro, Slim Light, Carbon Pod, LZR LEDs, and Gravity LEDs, KC has a high-grade product to light up your activity with the price that will fit every budget. Most LED light manufacturers offer warranties of one to two years. KC offers a 23-year limited lifetime warranty. 23 years, folks. When they say they are the standard, they mean it. Check their story and their products out at kchighlights.com. When you're ready to pull that trigger on an awesome KC product, Make sure to send us an email with the links of the KC product or products you are interested in. And we'll be more than happy to provide you with a very competitive price for those lights on your rig. We are a proud KC Highlights direct dealer. Middleman is not included. Nice, man. I'm going to tell you, KC lights are one of those things that I remember from my childhood just because my uncle always had big jacked up Chevrolets and they always had KC lights on them. I look at CJs like CJ is kind of like my, I don't know, when I look, when I think Jeep, I always go back to the CJ model. Maybe for other Jeepers, it's like that. It just seems like that is the rig. You want to see those big round lights, the yellow covers, big KC on it. I tell you, they're a great company, and they're not that really big. Even though they're big in brand and can go anywhere and you can find KC Highlights, they're not necessarily big as in well as personnel and stuff. When I first started all this out, they're one of the brands reached out, and they were very supportive of the direction I wanted to go. And anytime that I can show their products, talk about the brand, I love to because product sells itself. If you want good lights, if you want something that's going to perform – whether you're on the road, the trail, whether you're a racer, KC Highlights, that's where you need to go. And remember, Route 16, we're a direct dealer, so reach out to us. Have an idea, or maybe you'd like to contribute to one of our segments? Then go to Route16.com and select Contact and let us know your idea. That's R-O-O-T-O-N-E-S-I-X.com and select Contact. Go farther, do more, challenge yourself, dig in, winch out, rediscover the fun of off-roading, all with the confidence that you can do more than ever before, because you're backed by reliable worn products. Led by an exciting wave of new worn products, the off-road world has never been more energized. Consider the ground up, redesigned, and never say can't attitude of the new Axon and VRX Power Sports winches. The most innovative, revolutionary winches on the market. Plus, the expansive line of worn products for the truck, commercial, utility, industrial, and severe duty markets. You give us your trust, we deliver the performance. Wherever you go, be prepared. Go worn. Go adventure. All right, welcome to the Go Adventure segment. This week, during our Go Adventure segment, we have another Overlander we are a big fan of. He is an American living across the pond in the UK. Scott, welcome to the Route 16 Grind Podcast, bud. Hey, thanks, Brian. appreciate you inviting me on here. Yeah, absolutely. I know we've been meaning to kind of do this ever since I kind of started this, but I had to get a little bit more organized and kind of figure the format out and work out some bugs. And it really is just every show you figure something out. So, you know, we're all already, this is show eight, so we're, we know everything. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, how about you tell our listeners uh, a little bit about yourself, man? Okay, sure. Yeah, my name's Scott, and um, well, I, I 
originally from Indiana in the States, obviously. And then when I graduated high school, I joined the Air Force. And then I've kind of bounced around in that. I did 20 years, two days. And uh, when I my last station was England. So when I retired, I just kind of decided to stay here. My wife's from Ohio. And uh, that's what normally people say, well, is your wife English? Is that why you stay there? But no, we just both love it over here. So we decided to stay. Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. And it's not something you're that many people are familiar with in the military community. I, I absolutely saw it, you know, being in the Marines and a lot of people who, you know, there's a lot of job opportunities overseas now, more now more than ever, yep. too. So, you know, you kind of like look at that full scope and, you know, you find a quality of life, a place that you're happy at. Yeah, man, that's awesome. What about your rig? You know, obviously you're overland. You go by Axe Overland, you know, tell a little mm-hmm. bit about that. Okay. Yeah, sure. I, um, I've got a 2009 Jeep JKU and I found the the right side drive. Obviously they're everywhere here, the the Jeeps that they have. And then, uh, it's also diesel. So that's a, something I was really excited about is to get the 2.8 diesel and a right side drive Jeep. It's just all of it. It's great. Yeah. And it's unusual because in the U S market, there isn't a diesel Jeep. Right. Yeah. In the Europe and, and, uh, the UK, they've got, they've got loads of, yeah, so that's a, one of the things out here, like people are going crazy about, oh man, hey, next year, you know, Jeep's going to have a diesel. Yeah. Well, they kind of already do, but they just don't sell it <laughs> right, to you. Yeah. Why overlanding and why that rig? Well, originally when I was stationed in Germany back in 98, um, I ended up getting a 78 CJ7 and that was my first Jeep. I've always won one. I finally got one. And I just fell in love. A full Jeep life. I tried to bring it back to the States when I got stationed in Utah, but it wouldn't pass their inspection. So I tried and tried to get it to pass, and I ran out of time and had to sell it. So I kind of regretted it ever since. So right. now over here, I I was doing like dirt bikes and motorcycles because I'm a motorcycle instructor now is what I do. And um, I was trying to find something I could take a bike in if I needed to. So I got a van, and I was driving a Ford Transit van for dirt bikes and, again, on-road bikes. And then I started converting it to a camper van. And I really enjoyed getting out and staying in the camper van and having, you know, like a little stove in there or whatever I needed and just being able to get out and stay out. So I ended up blowing up a couple motors in the <laughs> transit vans. So I went through two motors and then I finally decided, okay, enough's enough. Uh, let's do something different. And I started thinking about all those, you know, those Jeep days. And I'm like, I want to get another Jeep. And that's it. I think the four door would be perfect because I can kind of do a bit with the back and a rooftop tent and everything. And then, so I started my search and, um, kind of a shameless plug, but there's a company over here called Buzz Special Vehicles. And when I started looking for a Jeep, I'd been out of it for so long. I called them and I was like, Hey man, I want to buy a Jeep. Here's what I want to do. Do you have any tips? What should I look for? And they, we kind of narrowed it down to 2007 to 2009. And I told them I wanted diesel and everything. So whenever I'd find one, I'd kind of ring them up and be like, Hey, this is what I'm looking at. And he's like, well, check this, make sure I'm like, yeah, that's not good. He goes, yeah, leave it alone. So they were with me since October and I didn't actually buy a Jeep till January. So they weren't making any money off me at all. They were just legitimately helping, you know, someone find their dream Jeep. And then, so obviously when I finally got it and I needed to work, get work done, that was the first place I ran to. So they're the ones that done the lift and the wheels, tires, the bumper, snorkel, all that stuff. Uh, they done it all there. You know, that's awesome. And there's no shameless plugs here and feel free to give us their (laughs) info. We'll make sure to put in the show notes because I'm pretty sure we do have uh, other UK listeners beside you, believe it or not. I'm pretty sure you help create that buzz, but you know, might be some others that might be interested in doing what you did. It's great to have resources to go to. Speaking of which, you know, how hard or easy is it for you to get parts and accessories for your rig? 
Uh, is it more expensive, harder to find? If you buy them over here, yes, it's more expensive. Um, usually like AEV, I use a lot of their products like the Lyft and stuff like that. And like some of the tire carrier and the tire caddies, all AEV. So Buzz Special Vehicles stock that. So um, I could get a whim and say, hey, I need a fuel caddy. I could run down there and get it, bring it home and install it. So I'm lucky in the fact that they're that they're AR, AEV, ARB, and Warren dealers. So that's where I got my – when it's time to get a Warren winch, it's kind of heavy to be shipping over here you know, from the yeah. States. So I went to them, and I ended up getting my uh, my VR Evo uh, 12,000 or 12.5 from them, the synthetic one. So they had it in stock. So it's just easy. Yeah, and that's like their new uh, line that just came out too. Yes. How do you like that winch? I haven't used it in anger yet, but – I love the ability to go wireless or wired. So that's going to be great. And this is my first time, honestly, ever owning a winch because on the old Jeep, I never got around to putting one on it. So this is my, I again, rather have it and not need it. So. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I do. And, and that was really the, when I first got my Jeep, I have now root in uh, 2011, the very first purchase I did was a front bumper and a winch. Yep. And that one actually had, the, the older remote where you actually had the wire that went into the right. winch, you know, and then comes mm-hmm. all out to a, like a, a remote that you had to mount inside the engine. And then you had that external. Now it's, you know, a little, little adapter you can put yeah. right on and that's super cool. And I, I kind of, I think that that the current one in that in the lines is more responsive than the one I had before. I didn't really use it before because it was always delay and all this other stuff. And I just didn't feel comfortable with it, but I've, I've just written, you know, used it probably three months ago and totally use it. I was taking down trees in my backyard of all things. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I was knocking down some pine and moving them and all that with my winch. And that, and that remote was just so handy and it was just yep. so responsive. And yeah, I think it's a great thing. And I'm glad they included it with, uh, you know, the, the Evo line and it's a, right. and a I- wonderful winch to get. It's moderately, uh, modestly priced. You know, it may not be as quick as uh, moving that line, but then again, when you're winching, it's not really a speed contest. Right, exactly. Yeah, because we're not unless you're king of hammers or something. Yeah. (laughs) Even having the wired one though is like I remember reading like Four Wheel Drive magazine when I was a kid, and how iconic was that? Someone was hanging out the window with a winch controller in their hand. You know, I'm like, oh, that's what I need to do. So I still got that picture in my head when I, when I had for have to use it, that's what I'm seeing, but I know it won't be that way. Unfortunately. <laughs> I, I think that's like anything that we have in our rig. We're just looking forward to that opportunity to use yep. any of it. You know, I, I broke, uh, I broke down and went ahead. I, I really like those as well, you know, cause you kind of have that tag axe overland, but I really wanted one of those hunk brutes axes forever. Like they're, they're yeah. hatchets. I mean, they're a little pricey and, you know, so I had some like mad points with, you know, one of my cards or whatever. So I was like, man, I'm going to pull the trigger and get it. So I used (laughs) the points and, and got that. Oh, that's a, that's such a nice uh, piece of gear right there. Yeah. And it's in my Tuffy box and it's ready to be used. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've got a Helco work or Verk as they say in Germany, but yeah, I've found one. It's like a black forest product type thing. Really nice. Like kind of a midsize ax, but yeah, yeah, that's my baby. (laughs) Yeah, man. I tell you, I've really used my old axe and this one. Yeah, it'll be, it'll get used, you know? So as an overlander, you know, what places do you like to drive and travel to in the UK? Do you go outside of the UK, like to, you know, mainland Europe or any other place that you can possibly travel to and how hard or easy is it to do that? Yeah. Um, 
there's a about a, two hours away is Dover, and you and you take the ferry from there over to Calais in France, and it's like a two hour crossing, or you can take the channel. And they'll put you on a train and take you under the water and get you in France as well. But I did and last August, I do remote control cars. Well, actually trucks and cars. And there's an, a big event that's called the G6, the Recon G6. And it's uh, ran by an American guy named Brian Parker from Missouri. So a fellow uh, Midwesterner like me. And uh, he hosts events all over the world. He's actually a good friend of mine. And he did one in Belgium. So me and a buddy from here decided we're going to take the Jeep over to Belgium and did the event there. So like we had the 270 awning out kind of like a base station for us to work on our trucks. And then right. I had the rooftop tent to sleep in. So yeah, it was a great trip. And that's super convenient, you know, cause it can get pricey and, you know, having all yeah. that ready available. And plus you get a different perspective of the landscape there. You know, you're not necessarily yeah. going into the urban environment. It's not, you know, you can, you have a lot more freedom uh, of travel. Yep. And I just love the yeah. whole overlanding thing. And I always tell every overlander, it's like, man, I remember, like when I was first in the Marine, I just literally said this last podcast. When I was <laughs> yeah, saying, I know. Yeah. I, I, I was you know, listening. like, awesome. gosh, I remember doing all that, dude. I, you know, I think it's because social media wasn't out. I, yeah. I really thought about that. I was, when I was talking to uh, Sir William Goes and, and I was kind of just thinking about our interview and I was like, you know what? Social media has done, because th- I wasn't the only one. I mean, there were plenty of people, there were plenty of buddies I had that did the yeah. same thing. And uh, if you look at the people that were moving cross country, like in the twenties and thirties and stuff, you know, you're talking about dust bowl stuff and uh, you know, all that, you know, they're literally yeah. living out of that vehicle. And you saw some of those, you know, mobile, mobile, uh, mobile camps and they were really overlanding, you know, those yeah. little small, yep. you know, cars and, and whatnot. But I think just social media has created a phenomenon, a phenomenon about it. And, <laughs> yeah. um, I think too is just that that's what structured all this big business, and you see like these trailers and all these pop up tents and stuff like that, and and you know for someone like yourself, I mean I follow you, uh, you know I'm a huge fan, you know where do yeah, you find sure. that balance when it comes to gear? Oh wow, <laughs> what when you run out of room? That's that's, that's a good that's point. I, yeah, I feel like when I'm packing, I'm like oh that's great, but actually just from trial and error, like when I first went. I wanted to try everything out. I only went 10 miles away from the house, this little campsite. And I had so much stuff. It was just like, okay, you don't need this or that. And just kind of stay, stay there for a couple of days. And it's like, okay, this box never even got open. So do you really need it? Right. And then j- just kind of having a breakout for like, this is for a week, you know, this is for just a couple nights or whatever. And right now I'm planning the trip. Um, I'm leaving at the end of January. I'm doing two weeks in Scotland with just me and the Jeep. And I can't wait. That's some good terrain, a, man. I, I've been out yeah. that way. Uh, yeah. A lot of, and a, and a walking method. And yeah, that's some really good, good yeah. terrain out there. That's fun. Beautiful wait, country. Uh, you know, a lot of fog though too, but yeah, it's, yep. it's I'm going, it's going to be cold, obviously, but yeah. you know, I've got, I've got the little buddy heater and stuff like that. And I've also got a wood burning stove and a bell tent. That's an option if it gets really cold, but, uh, I'm just two weeks and it's a 500 mile route, mile route. And it's called the North coast 500. And that's what they call it. And they've, a lot of people equate it to the route 66 in the States. This is kind of like Scotland's version. And it's been marketed that way to get people to come to Scotland. And it's all the way at the top of Scotland. I mean, yeah, there's a few islands up above it, but mainland Scotland, that's like, kind of it that's as far as you can go and then one thing i didn't even realize until i was doing research is that there's areas of scotland in the time that i'm going that you can see the northern lights and i've never seen that before so i'm really hoping 
that everything lines up. And if it does, you'll know because it'll be all over Instagram. Yeah, we, you, know, you know I follow you. But definitely share yeah. those with us, man. We'll get get that out too. Yeah. That is awesome. And, you know, and, and I, I like the fact too is that it's an experience that maybe you're able to share with people that can't, you know, be able to yeah. do that. That's yeah. one thing. One aspect uh, I learned in the last interview, like, yeah, I never really thought of it that way. And what you're sharing is maybe something that that's the only way that someone else can experience. Uh, and and those I'm doing things. the same thing here, watching like trail recon. I've never wheeled in California. And like, obviously on overland X on Instagram, right. Marco, he's out there killing it too. And it's just like, and then uh, what's his name? Rob. Uh, yeah. Really great guy from VTW explore. Those guys are just doing great, man. And it's like, and I would never see that side of the States because I never really lived over there. Other than Utah, but at, you know, only for a couple of years, but I didn't really do any four wheeling. Right. So I get to experience that from here just by watching YouTube. So, yeah, super, super cool. I, I, I do enjoy that. It's just really like time in the day to <laughs> enjoy all of that. Sometimes yeah. you got to yep. piece it out. But, you know, as far as uh, your rig and you talked about with space, I mean, that's something with me is I look at weight, I look at space, and I don't think you could do shortcuts where it comes to something that's going to provide you cover, heat, right. first aid. So it's, you know, those other things where, where you apply your redundancy and whatnot, and also how far away are you really getting off the grid? Exactly. Where yep. does your maintenance come in and all that? Uh, yep. How religious are you on your maintenance? Uh, I, myself, not really well, but I appreciate Buzz the honesty vehicle, though. Yeah. And Buzz special vehicle, you know, hooks it up, but like, like maintaining as far as like keeping clean and oiled and stuff. Yeah, I do that. But when it comes time, like I don't know engine stuff that well. I mean, I can do a little bit, but obviously like timing belt and water pump and stuff like that that need to be swapped out. I got that done when I got the Jeep. The Jeep had 60,000 miles when I got, when I got it. So that was kind of one of the things I wanted to get knocked out. So I didn't have to worry about it. So I definitely went and said, Hey man, give this thing a once over. I don't know what the guy before me did to it. So we got it and got a good base and found some issues and got them fixed straight away. Yeah, so that's a good thing. You have someone that actually you know, has been, you know, a maintenance uh, crew, if you will, uh, yeah. that you can go to to actually knows your vehicle and whatnot. Because that's one thing where people take trips or people go hit the trail that that that's where you don't want to find out. Oh man, I should have replaced that, you know, right. and, and everything. Yeah, it, it's a if, in the UK. I've been there a few times too. It's the the, the gas stations and all that. They're not like here. You're you know, right. They're a little yep. bit different and finding that resource uh, for assistance may not be as easy. Like, you know, as far as a tow truck, you know, is that like they have like a triple A over there? Yeah, or? it's actually AA is what they call it here. It's just two A's. But uh, yeah, I have that. And I literally, um, I blew a, a turbo hose because, you know, diesel's turbo. Uh, I blew that turbo hose and called AA because I didn't have a way to fix it. And they came out and kind of put like a cast on it and uh, got me home. And then I went back and just replaced it with what, it, you know, the silicon ones that it, should have had that i should have done immediately but i didn't so now that's good to go but yeah aas they're, they're really responsible or responsible responsive i should say within an hour or so they come get you and take you home if they need to or take you to the garage that you want to go to or right. just fix it if they can so yeah they're pretty good now far as you know when you first got into this and everything else, what were the big key resources you used? Obviously, everyone uses YouTube and stuff. Where was there anything beyond that that you utilized to kind of jump in? And, and on top of you know, you, you used your the, the garage that you go to. But yeah, were there that, certain things that you would probably recommend to somebody? Oh yeah, just uh, getting on Facebook and finding the groups, and then I'm a big podcast guy too. I love listening to podcasts. And I found 
when I was originally looking for a Jeep, I said, you know what? I'm driving. I drive all over the UK doing the RC car thing. So I'm like, I want to hear about Jeeps. You know, I've listened to this music over and over again. So I found the Jeep talk show. Heck and I was yeah, we like that, that show. Yeah. And that's when I, that's how I found you, you know, and I, and you've helped me out and get parts. Um, so that's awesome. Thanks, Brian. I've hey, told no you that a hundred times, here for there you go again. <laughs> but yeah, so that's got me stuff. And then, uh, finding other podcasts. Now they also got obviously yours. I, I don't miss this one. And then, uh, rigged, rigged for dirt's another one that I really like a lot with, uh, Ali and, and Frank, one guy's got a, a Jeep JKU and the other guy's got a FJ cruiser and they get some good people on there. You Man, know, a so, Jeep and an FJ hanging together. you got to yeah. share that with me. I don't, I'm not familiar with that one. I, I definitely <laughs> yeah, right? need to see that. And they're, they're both, they're, they both, uh, drive got, got KC as a sponsor as well. So they got some good lights coming in. Right. Great brand. Yeah. Love them. Great yeah, company. Yeah. So yeah, basically podcasts and YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, just following those and searching those hashtags, man, finding all kinds of cool stuff. Outside of the Scotland trip, do you have any other big plans this year? Things you're looking at potential, you know, maybe next year or something like that. I definitely want to get back to mainland Europe again. I'd like to go back to Belgium. The, the, they're having the event there again and uh, possibly get down to Italy and uh, Ireland. I love Ireland. So if I can get back over to to ireland that'd be good i've not taken the jeep there yet so that'd be a good trip but we've got whales in ireland and the full full island obviously here but right yeah it's just so much to do it's kind of hard to to pick well keep us posted on that we definitely are going to be involved in following you for sure and as you take on these trips and stuff you're more than happy to bring you back so where can we find you and continue to follow you and your adventures you know we're you know listeners if they want to kind of see what you're doing look at your build follow your page yeah. where would they go uh youtube that's uh where i do i try to do a lot on there i've, I've kind of missed for a couple of weeks but i'm back now uh the last video i did was like a, talking about how long my fridge lasted with my goal zero yeti that i have and that's a i got a lot of questions about it so i finally made the follow-up video and kind of let people know i'm on instagram axe overland as well and facebook i'm not too i'm not too keyed up on twitter for some reason but I definitely need to get more proficient on there, but mainly Instagram and YouTube are probably the top two places. And that's where I'll keep updating. Like big things I've got to do to the Jeep is I've got to get the gears installed. I've had them for a lot, for almost a year, but I'm just looking for the right garage to put them in and buzz, buzz special vehicles doesn't do gears. And I appreciate them telling me that that's not their specialty. So right. you know, they're not like, not an easy right, task they're, and you need the right to, person to do it. Then you know, it go, right. you go bad yep. quick. Yep. So they're, they're trying to help me find the right place to get that done. And then, I'll be putting four tens in it right now. It's got a three twenty ones, and with thirty fives and all the load that I put on there, it's a bit slow takeoff. But once you get up cruising, it'll cruise really well. But it's just a really high geared thing right now, so numerically low. But yeah, it's it needs some help. So hopefully, I'll have a video somewhat soon of that update. With the uh, I got an air locker for the rear and a ARB compressor going in. So. Hopefully soon. <laughs> oh, you got some work, definitely. I'm yeah, just worried about yeah. replacing my, you know, dried out flex ties, and you got some big project stuff going on. Yeah. So that's awesome. <laughs> well, hey, thing, real quickly, yeah, been, what gear? What uh, gear brand did you go with? I went with Yukon. Um, yeah, I love those guys. Yeah, I was. I, everybody's like, "Look, dude, if you do it, do it right." You know, don't. So, and then the Yukon has always came up, and I watched King of Hammers. Yep, you know, I was going to say, like, King yeah. of Hammers, look, look yep. what they're running. <laughs> I was like, all right, let's get some, let's get the Yukon. And then the Yukon was like, well, we have a, a locker too. I'm like, yeah, well, I kind of already went with ARB, sorry. But, right. Yeah. And you know what? They're, uh, they're, 
their wizard was a diff wizard and like they have so much assistance uh, mm-hmm. within their whole I'm, I'm trying to remember the big brand it actually Yukon is owned by um, oh, I'm not sure yeah I'm, it slipped my mind but anyways they have so much assistance available to make sure you get the right part for what you're trying to do what you're trying to build right. I've talked to one of their guys for a while uh, a couple of years ago when uh, we're looking at <coughs> sponsorships and stuff like that and I was blown away by the amount of assistance that brand so it's a great product and you know if you need help you can literally reach out to one yeah. of their uh, people and they will assist you they take every aspect of it uh, seriously and you know not all brands are like that I mean they right. might make a good product but it might be hard to get a hold of somebody if you kind of have some questions yeah. or whatnot but yeah man hey thank you so much for coming on we really appreciate oh, yeah, no, it you're gonna make it yeah huh yeah yeah you sure because <laughs> we want to bring you yeah, back so you got to make it oh yeah i'll be a fine man it's just it's been a long weekend like i said i just drove about three hours to get home from where i was so i'm just trying to take in a whole weekend of just running around in circles <laughs> yeah you know what and i should have mentioned like this is actually in the afternoon for me this is like late evening for you so i really yeah, appreciate you is, staying up yeah. to do this too so yeah, yeah. no worries Thank you so much, and we'll definitely bring you back. We'll put your information on the show notes and share with me uh, that one company that works on your uh, rig, and I'll make sure to put yeah, that in the show notes as well. absolutely, man. I really appreciate you inviting me on here, man. It's been great. Absolutely. We'll going. check back in with you it. in a few months, man. You can bring you back on. Cool. Sounds good, man. Appreciate it. Since 1989, Tuffy Security Products has been the industry leader in automotive security. Tuffy has a variety of vehicle-specific consoles, drawers, and lockboxes. Tuffy manufacturers adventure-ready organization and security for your Jeep, truck, or SUV. Visit TuffyProducts.com and use special offer code GRIND to save 10% on your order. The Cup of Joe segment is brought to you by Seasteak Coffee. Have you ever actually drank good coffee? Stop wasting your money on old, stale coffee from the store and make the switch to Seasteak Coffee. Seasteak Coffee is a United States Marine Corps veteran-owned and operated roastery selling premium coffee that's roasted on order and delivered fresh to you. Order your coffee today at www.seasteakcoffee.com. What a great show. Two great interviews, Chuck. For sure, man. Um, I'm, I'm enjoying the interviews. I think it's adding, adding something new to the show that we intended on adding. But no, I, I'm, I'm hoping that the, the listeners enjoy it because um, I, I feel like that's kind of the direction we want to take this podcast with, with some conversation intermixed with the news and everything. And just, uh, man, and just, just hopefully we can keep it going. I actually um, just got a message. And while you were wrapping up your, uh, in the rock, mud and dirt, I got a message from some folks that we'll be interviewing coming up pretty soon, hopefully this weekend for the, uh, from the field. And I think it's a group of folks that are really going to kind of get some people excited during that hunting and fishing space. So I'm excited. I can't wait for it. And uh, de- definitely appreciate Jordan and, and everything. Uh, that was a very personal interview, and that's what we want to bring to y'all, folks. Oh, yeah. Is we're we're, we're not gonna, we're not looking just to bring out just the brands, but people are a big part of this show. Last year we did a people and brand celebration, and that's probably just going to continue on forever as Route One Six exists. Jordan, just an amazing experience. I could I could feel like I was almost in there, especially when you were tracking the deer. I love right. that part when he was describing that and I'm with you. I'm so glad that he saw it first. Yep. 
Oh, dude, yeah, yeah. The fact that he saw it first and like I didn't point it out, and I and I I kind of expected going into the situation that I was going to see the deer first, and then I was going to have to kind of play stupid, kind of <laughs> how I was doing a little bit with the blood. Um, right. I wasn't necessarily playing stupid with the blood. I was pretty open with him. I was like, hey, dude, I see some blood. You're going to have to find it. Right. But um, no, and, and I meant what I said. Like the and I told him when we got done tracking the deer and everything, kind of when all the celebration and all kind of the emotion stuff was over. Um, he did a great job and and he got to experience something that was like really like it was, it was a complicated tracking job, even though it wasn't a long tracking job, he got to see a little bit of everything. Right. I told him realistically, I mean, where we were hunting, like I say, it was a fantastic farm. He was trying to track these deer going out of a field with multiple trails coming in. And these trails weren't just like normal trails. These are like upper echelon trails that you're going to see in North Carolina. Like you'll be hard pressed to find a trail better than what these trails were. Right. And, uh, just with all the tracks and everything that were there and kind of having to get it sorted out and just him kind of knowing just in general, just to look for tracks. Cause like he mentioned, that was one of the first things that he noticed mm-hmm. and, and then him, him picking the blood trail back up on his own and everything. Like I, f- I felt like that was kind of the, the, the biggest thing from the whole hunt. Like that was what he really got out of it. And, and to me, like the things that he learned take to, like to take away from the hunt itself, the the shooting the deer and everything. That's the easy part. Like he mentioned, he's really familiar with guns. Right. But that's that portion of tracking was really something. Like after the fact, I was like, oh, like he doesn't even get how valuable this was. This little bit. And you really have to change your your viewpoint. Tracking isn't standing upright and just walking looking down. It's a lot more right. than that. Uh, looking at all the area, reposition yourself. If you're, you can also use light to look at the trail to see where things might pop up, where if you're standing up, you might not see that at all. Uh, there's a lot that goes into it. You know, I think it's something you, you never get perfect at. It's kind of like golf. You just got to keep working on it. No, and, 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 and you're exactly right. Every situation with the tracking is going to be different. You do have times where you can, I mean, you can literally sprint down the track and and go and go right to the animal but more often than not it, it ends up becoming a, a long drawn out easter egg hunt <laughs> um i mean really some some are worse than others some are on your hands and knees looking for pin drops some are i mean quarter size half dollar size drops every five ten yards to me that was the biggest learning experience for him but just knowing jordan's passion and everything it was it was it was one of those things where I was like, I couldn't have been happier with how it all turned out and knowing how much it meant to him. Like, I'm, I'm glad that he's getting into hunting, you know, he would um, be great to bring back on like next year, you know, after next year season and oh, just yeah. kind of like, Hey man, how's it going? Where are you at? That kind of thing. Just, and just have maybe just a chit chat, sit down, chit chat with him, uh, during our recording. That'd be great. And, you know, oh, yeah. appreciative of Scott coming on, uh, Axe Overland. He's got some great trips uh, going all across. You talking about going to Ireland, Scotland, all that. I look forward to hearing more about that. And him working through the support network that he has in the UK, that was a really good eye-opener. And then also just traveling into Europe. He's got a, a great channel, y'all. Definitely checking out. It'll be in the show notes. We will definitely have him back on at some point in the future as well. Look forward to that. As far as the Go Adventure, we're going to keep on doing just like from the field. We're going to keep bringing on interviews for that. And for Go Adventuring, I got uh, Byron from Zombie Crawlers Jeep Club in Kentucky. And just to let you know, they're more than a Jeep Club. They have other vehicles in there too. He's going to be on. I'm also... Looking to interview Cheryl from HerJeepLife.com. Uh, we got the, a date for that and try and sit down and do a chit chat with her. And 
And she's a great story, and I look forward to uh, sharing that with you. Yeah, you know, we, we talked about it. We're thinking about bringing Nikki G on for an interview, give you guys an understanding. Hey, who's this guy that calls in every week? He does have a YouTube channel. He's got a great story, and he's kind of a professional uh, voicemail caller, if you, <laughs> if you really want to put him there. And then we also have a couple of Jeep enthusiasts you might know very well. So definitely subscribe, stay tuned. We have a lot in store for y'all and all the other things that we talked about in the past, those things are coming. This show is just going to get bigger, better, and we're going to bring you content, content, content. Look yep. forward to that. Uh, Chuck, I mean, you got any, anything coming up this weekend, any hunts? You're going to Alabama, right? You're ready to go? Uh, yeah, I'm not even close to ready to go. Um, <laughs> I'm waking up Saturday morning and I'm going to go get in um, a a squirrel rabbit dove hunt while I'm taking down some tree stands that I got to take with me to Alabama. Uh, I'll be leaving for Alabama next Thursday, picking up one of my buddies in Georgia, um, get to Alabama late Friday or late Thursday night. Probably won't get any hunting in Friday, do a lot of scouting, but yeah, we'll be hunting for uh, four or five days down there. Hey, so what happened with that duck hunt, man? You didn't say anything. Huh. I didn't see any pictures, man. I had to, I had to put you uh, on the spot. <laughs> well, the gun went off. <laughs> um, no, it was, it was hot. Was it? Um, yeah, it was hot. Is that, a, I'd never been duck hunting. So I don't, I don't know anything other than you, you call it and you sit in this very blind, you know, like whatever, yeah. uh, tall, yeah. uh, vegetation, maybe on a boat. It, it well, looks fun. Don't get me wrong, but is, is it really that hard? Well, this, this first time I'd ever been duck hunting, uh-huh. um, I always picked on people duck hunting because, like, I'm not going to go out and freeze to death over one meal, you know, right. especially in North Carolina, central North Carolina, just not a lot of ducks. I happened to meet the guy that I went hunting with over the summer through work, and um, he actually works on the local lakes um, doing uh, plant surveys for invasive aquatic species and stuff. Anyway, so we actually hunted from our kayaks out on a local lake here, Mountain right. Island Lake. And Do you have camouflage on those kayaks? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so what we did, like me and him, we, we met at the little, uh, put in at four thirty, kayaked about a mile, uh, pulled the kayaks actually out of the water up in the woods. After we got the decoy set up, pulled the kayaks up in the woods. He had some burlap and I had some camouflage mesh. We covered up our kayaks, put, put leaves and branches and stuff on them to camouflage them. And then we essentially stood right in the edge of the water behind some trees. Okay. And, um, he had already warned me beforehand. It was really warm. Um, probably we were going to be hunting ducks that had been here a while, probably been shot at a good bit. More than likely, we were just going to see some wood ducks. And that was what we saw. We saw probably seven or eight wood ducks um, that came through. And okay. we got a couple shots, not successful. Um, the ducks were coming in fast. They were flying in kind of high. And they um, just not decoying very well. But no, it was still a blast. I mean, it was it was a ton of work. It was really strange to me um, that like other boats that were in the area were leaving at eight o'clock. Oh, really? Like, oh, put in all this work and you're leaving at eight. And essentially, our hunt was done at like eight thirty, but we stuck it out till about nine thirty before we started paddling back and try to jump some ducks and stuff. But yeah, no, he, and that's what he told me. He was like, "Yeah, it's, he'll he'll go out and he'll hunt an hour before work." And oh, that's like, pretty cool. I'm hunting the best part of hunting, you know. After after about eight. 8:30 is pretty much done for the day. Um so but it was interesting. I'm I mean, I'm I'm hooked now. Um it's really weird. I mean, no birds are challenging. Hunt. 
definitely are challenging. Yeah, ton of work. Yeah, to go out and only hunt for a couple hours. I mean, you figure I spent more time in the dark getting ready for duck hunting than I spent in duck hunting, which is the total <laughs> opposite of deer hunting. You know, hey. I'm in the woods in the dark for an hour and I sit there till ten or eleven o'clock. Um, but a lot more action. You get to talk. You know, the interaction, everything was really cool. Um, and and being on the kayaks, that was another thing that it was just really, I mean, really cool about it. So and that's how he does all his hunting from a kayak. It's pretty but, smart, actually. I'm very accessible to a lot of different areas. Maybe, you know, you can't take in a bigger oh, boat. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a, logistically, it makes sense to me. So when you were talking about, uh, like, when you were shooting it high, was that, like, straight above? Or was it, you know, so, so our, our listeners can kind of understand the positioning challenge that you were shooting the ducks at? Well, so... So we're we're standing in timber essentially in a in a very narrow creek coming off of the essentially it's it's part of a lake but it, it's it's very riverine where we were at but so we're standing in the timber and behind us is um a lot of hardwoods okay. and 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 a little bit more uh, it's just more dense well the ducks that we, we actually got a shot at came from behind us. So they came over top of our head and I had hearing protection in. And so I didn't hear him coming. He heard him coming, but he got a shot first and I got a shot. They were going away, but they were kind of going over the trees once he shot. Um, which if it would have been mallards or something that was, that were ducks that were a little bit more responsive to calls, he said we wouldn't have shot. I kind of already knew that because I've watched a little bit about duck hunting. I'm familiar enough to know where we well where you wouldn't want he wouldn't have wanted to booger them up he would essentially want right. them to loop around and then fly into the decoys and essentially you're shooting them at like ten yards twenty yards you know uh, in a perfect world. But typically wood ducks typically they're going where they're going and uh, so yeah and they're, and they're a smaller duck so they were getting out of town. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, one for the duck, huh? Yeah. Oh yeah. And 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 our goal, what we were hoping is they were going to be flying up the creek. And essentially, it was going to be like hunting doves to where they were going to be flying by, like right in front of us, um, kind of up a little bit, but but within the creek, within the trees and stuff, with a little bit better shot. And if we could have saw them coming up the creek, and that was kind of the goal for those. We were really hoping some mallards would be around, uh, but it just didn't work out. Now, of course, as typically goes, I'm the ultimate, you should have been here yesterday type of guy. <laughs> well, I should have been there tomorrow because... I don't know what kind of weather y'all got, but Saturday, the wind picked up here, wind blowing out of the north. It turned off real cold, and uh, my buddy that I went with, he has a pond behind his house, and when he woke up Sunday morning, he texted me Saturday night. He's like, there's going to be ducks down here tomorrow, and when he woke up Sunday morning, the, the pond behind his house was covered with ducks. He had ringnecks, magansers, mallards, I mean, the whole show. Um and he's actually going out in the morning because he went to pick his son up today and rode by a pond that had um, redheads and mallards and stuff all in it. So he's going to go try a new hole tomorrow. So he's ready. Well, you know, oh, yeah. you got outside. You got to experience yep. that whole new experience. Um, and you learn stuff. So it, to me, that's a huge success, man. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I'm going to try to make up for it this weekend. If I can uh, – if, if I can do uh, – if I can come home with one dove, one rabbit, and one squirrel, I'll be tickled to death. Man, that sounds like a country song. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
Well, hey, y'all. Thanks again for joining us this week. Make sure to subscribe to the show and maybe even leave us a five-star rating. Thanks for listening to the Route 16 Grind. We want to thank our amazing sponsors, Warren Industries, Tuffy Security Products, C-State Coffee, and Route 16 Off-Road for their support. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and more. Just look for Route 16. That's R-O-O-T-O-N-E-S-I-X. Or just go to Route16.com. Until next week, plan smart, be safe, and as always, be prepared. One dove, one rabbit, one squirrel. Yeah!